DI Joburg episode 33 and today's topic is well mystery topics Steve had this crazy idea of us coming up with five insane things to quiz each other about nobody knows what they're getting what's going to come out of this show it's going to be pretty insane and we hope that you all get a, a kick out of it welcome to GI Joburg welcome to episode 33 of GI Joburg we're Going back to our roots, essentially, this podcast started out as a discussion podcast where we basically table top five lists. And I realize it's been almost a year since we did a top five list. So what better way to mark our 33rd episode by taking a trip down memory lane and getting back to, I suppose, the the very seed of what this podcast means to us and what, what we liked to do, essentially. Just basically test our top five lists against our friends' top five lists and see where we differ and where we agree. But with a twist this evening, because I don't know what top five lists Rob has in mind for Paul and I, Paul doesn't know what top five lists I have in mind for him and Rob, and Rob and I don't know what top five lists Paul has in mind. So uh, we're all going to be giving very candid answers and hopefully testing the depth of our love for G.I. Joe. (laughs) But first, this episode is being recorded hot on the heels of G.I. Joe Con 2014. Some images have been released, some news tidbits have been released. I must say I've been following particularly Justin Bell's Twitter feed for quite a while. Uh, He's been very uh, forthcoming with the updates. And there have been some interesting revelations. But here's the team. It's me, Steve... And Paul. And Robert. Woo! Taking you deeper and deeper and deeper into G.I. Joe fan culture. <laughs> and deeper. Really deep. Yeah, you're going to feel it behind your tonsils. We're so deep. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get stuck into the news, does anyone have any uh, new stuff to talk about? I have new shit to talk about. New stuff. I have new stuff to talk about. Stop the presses, I think Paul has new stuff to talk about. I do, and it's exciting stuff uh, at that. Well, talk about it, Paul. Oh, I've got a friend in Florida. Yeah, he's a pretty good friend, actually. He stays out in Florida. That's Florida, USA, not Florida, Veltfrieden Park. <laughs> he's a programmer, and he works on the games that I... He's one of the team members at the games company that I work or that I do work for. Anyway, um, he went to a flea market the other day, and he stumbled upon a whole bunch of cool G.I. Joe stuff. And he told me about it, and I was like, oh, okay, that'd be great. And he like, asked if I wanted him to grab me anything. So I was like, okay, well, just send me some pictures or whatever. Anyway, he sent me a whole bunch of really awesome shots, or not so awesome shots, pretty blurry shots, actually, of some of the stuff that they had at the flea market. And there were some Battle Force 2000 uh, husks, if I can call it that. Uh, there was a Conquest. Uh, there was a, 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 well, a very bad condition, Devilfish. Uh, you know, the, maybe the kind of stuff that's quite common in flea markets in the States. I'm, I'm not actually sure. But there were some beauties in and amongst all of the rubble. Those were a 25th anniversary His Tank. So I now finally have my own original His Tank, which means I have His Tanks 1 and 2. And then as a bonus, the guy at the flea market gave him a His Tank. Uh, and we sort of undecided on this if it's a His Tank 3 or 4. But it's basically the one where the front portion lifts up to be some kind of turret or something. So I got one of those for free. And I finally, finally, finally got a buzz ball. (laughs) 
<laughs> which oh, I am nice. super amped about because I love the buzzball for as stupid as it is. How and complete are these? The his tank is full. It's fully complete. The other his tank is missing the turret, the guns, and the driver, which is really no major loss at all, to be honest, because I was thinking of it as like an APC anyway. The buzz bore is missing the two missiles, and I think it's missing the gun. I can't really tell from the shots that he sent me. But all of those things are about $2 on eBay. I think I can get the missiles for about $0.90 cents or a dollar, and I can get the gun. So that's like no major um, skin off my back. And finding stuff in the wild is just like finding treasure, it finding really a is. pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I mean, finding stuff on eBay kind of takes the magic out of it. It does. It, it does sometimes, yeah, because I mean, you, you, you type know it's words there. into a search box and either it's there or it isn't there, and chances are it's there. But you find stuff in the flesh. My God. I wish I was I mean, your friend. Well, the thing is, I was actually going to ask you guys, uh, he found a mint in box Cobra Condor. Oof. Um, if any of you guys uh, are keen. And I think it's only like $60 or something or $70. The box is a little bit mangled, but I can ask him to get them to unpack it or whatever, but it's mint in box Condor. And I mean, I was thinking, hey, he must just grab it for me, and then I'm sure you guys would figure it out. But I wasn't sure how much you guys love a condor, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know I love a condor. I could love but... it to the tune of sixty or seventy dollars. I mean, that's actually <laughs> daylight robbery, I think, for well, a why... boxed condor. I mean, they're starting to become very sought after and rare. I think anyone with the canonic GI Joe and Cobra jets in their collection, uh, if they're vintage collectors. That is to say, the Sky Strikers, the Night Ravens, the Conquests, maybe the Phantom X-19s. I think this probably started to cast their nets a little bit wider to the, I suppose, the more unsung heroes of the Jet world. The Condor yep. instantly comes to mind because it was later in the line and it had the weird blaster part thing. But actually, it's a magnificent piece of toy. I love it. It's so yeah, chunky. Wow. And, Paul, uh, you love yeah. everything. It's never a surprise. But you have but, a but personal connection the with the Condor, so condor, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, no, the Condor is a, a, a close favorite. It's something very close to my heart, I have to say. Just some other things to just note about this flea market experience. There are, are a lot of other toys, you know, 1 to 18 scale toys like Star Wars stuff. In fact, the store that he took the photos from uh, had a lot of Star Wars stuff. They had a, I think it's a Republic gunship which I would have loved to have grabbed, but it just it was missing too much. But the cool thing is, is that when he picked up all of these vehicles for me, the guy actually gave him like a discount and a free HIS-3. I would never buy a HIS-3. Never, ever. But I got one for free, so I'm going to find a cool use for it. Well, you mentioned APC. I'm afraid it bases its design on the original HIS mold, so there's not a great deal of room to play with. You'd have to carve it up a bit and even then four guys would be a stretch have you got it by the way no but i have had it in hand oh and, okay so uh, it's it's pretty ugly <laughs> i mean I it's got it like a, a raising canopy feature so that it can kind of extend its head upwards and it's got a very exposed gun position so you're not missing much by not having the top turret because essentially the viper would just sit yeah, well, that's Completely the thing. exposed. There's, n- there's no ridges. He just has a seat up there with a gun between his legs. Very Masters of the Universe kind of design, if I do say so myself. 
Yeah, that giant Cobra logo on the seat. I mean, I was looking at it earlier tonight just to see what was missing and if I actually wanted to go out of my way to try and get the parts. Maybe for completionists' sake, one day I'll most likely go out of my way for it, but eh, nah, not a biggie. You're doing the guy a favor by accepting it because, you know, why no, would well, anyone that's... want that to clutter up their life? Well, exactly Sorry that. not to... Take the magic out of your find. Look. Oh, no, I, box, no, dude, it's all uh, good. Cobra Condor, yes, please, sign me up. Hmm. Incidentally, there was also a Locust, but it's missing its landing struts. And I couldn't t- uh, tell if the bomb bay doors were there. And I can pretty much bet that the bombs are missing. I didn't really want to take the chance on it. And there was also a shark, but the, the black shark, I keep forgetting the name. I think it's called the Night Spectre. But it's the modern... Uh, yeah, it's the reissue Night Spectre. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there is only a modern issue of that vehicle. Yeah, with Grand Slam. It's a handsomely colored like toy. It. And it's it's quite exclusive in a sense. I mean, it was a Target exclusive. I know there was a bit of a glut of them for some reason. But it's pretty. It was it kind is of the pretty. first Night Force reissue vehicle. And it improved on the Night Force version because it did away with the silly red parts. Listen, I would have gotten it with pleasure, just it was more of a husk than anything, and also it looked like it had a bit of damage, and I didn't want to take the chance, because I'm not there. The other thing that was there was... Yeah, those toys are no good without the canopies. Yeah, and that's exactly what was missing. Uh, They had a Cobra Claw, but it had no handlebars, and Cobra Claws are notorious for being fragile, and for having parts missing, so I didn't want to take the chance there. They had an original 1984 Claw. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, listen, the guy said that that stuff moves slowly anyway sometimes, so it most well, likely... Well, yeah, the claw is, like, it's made of eggshell. <laughs> yeah. It is very brittle, and, I mean, you've had them in hand, you repaired yeah. mine. They're stunning. And then there was a tiger shark, but it was missing the one gun, but not that I need one, because I got one, and it's awesome. <laughs> and... Found oh, in the flesh in good old RS of A... By the way. Which adds to its cool factor, I have to say. Oh, that's the other thing. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not grabbing it. But they had a piranha, the piranha boat. Mm. And when I was looking at it, I didn't open my Bellamo's guide for it. But I thought the depth charges were missing. And to be honest, I didn't really want to go on eBay to try and get depth charges for a piranha. Looking back at the pics now and having looked at Bellamo's book, yeah, it actually had the depth charges. The antenna at the back were a bit bent, but it still had the seat clip and it had all the missiles. And I have to say, it's, it's always been a very pretty boat. It's never been like, uh, like, oh, wow, I have to get one. But it's always been one of those, oh, if I came across it and it was cheap, I should have gotten it. So, oh, well. The have-to-get boat is obviously the moray. Yes. And a piranha makes for a nice complement to that. Certainly nicer yeah. than a hydro sled or any other, like, bogus surface uh cobra aquatic craft yeah they they seem to marry quite well uh visually uh in my opinion yeah. it's almost like the piranha is like a mini moray sure not... well it's got the same color use and a carryover decal which is quite nice it's got the moray design yeah that cobra that Black like snake, snake thing mm. yeah i must be honest i was hoping he would find trouble bubbles the 25th anniversary in particular, because I am very keen for for some of those, or at least two. But, hey, you know, there's always the future, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the evil bay. And the evil bay. And the conquest I didn't grab because it was missing its engine block, uh, the one just behind the canopy. 
And I've been advised, actually by you, Steve, to focus Engine more on the modern era. Yeah, yeah. It was also missing all of its missiles. And to be honest, something like that, I'd rather get the modern era because it just has a little bit more versatility in terms of uh, what it is. Uh, I think the modern era one was slightly better, if I'm not mistaken, from a conversation we had. Uh, so I'm more inclined to get that. There are there are certain nuances that the first release has over, I think, later releases. I stand to be corrected, but I seem to recall the, the vintage, the 86 conquests, uh, landing gear, the rear gear opens to its full extent. All oh. subsequent releases are slightly narrowed. I don't oh, know why. Restraint. I think it's perhaps oh. a slightly thicker piece of molding. Maybe they lost the original mold, but it's not as nice a part. Maybe they corrected that in the 25th anniversary version. I don't have one on hand. I can't confirm. Yeah. But if you can't go vintage, I'd say the 25th is your best bet because it's got the authentic coloring and it's newer. Uh, it's less likely to be scuffed and dinged. And you know, The thing about the jets is if the canopy isn't clear, it really mars the toy. Yeah, so the older you get, the more that becomes an issue. Very true. And then uh, last, I mean, there was a lot of stuff, but just another notable peak there. They had a piece of a thunderclap, uh, but it was missing too much. <laughs> so much, so much. <laughs> a piece of a, a piece. thunderclap. I can't tell if it's the four or the aft section of it. It's just. Ugh. It's I just it's the shell the... of the tow vehicle. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's got a very nice looking seat, uh, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, uh, Then I'd say it's the front portion. That's very possible. The um, back portion and, was like tragic in how badly the seat works. Yeah, why well, is the guy like sleeping in there, or is he just like? Um, in? It's a great seat, and his legs kind of go underneath the dashboard very nicely. <laughs> but yeah. then when you try and put the canopy on, unless he's like slouched so low that basically his chest is underneath the dashboard, you're not going to get the canopy closed. Maybe it's because I always put Avalanche in there and he's got a bit of a big noggin. But, uh, I mean, unless he was all the way down, like basically just his neck poking out from the dashboard, Mm. uh, he battled, I mean, it just battled to close over him. Quite a low low roof for a very high seat. (laughs) The last thing there was, funny you mentioned Avalanche because they had an Avalanche's carcass there as well. Uh, No flying pod drone thing that uh, formed much discussion in previous episodes. Uh, avalanche? Missing the Avalanche, that's the... Oh, the like, tank. I was talking about the guy. Tank, yeah. Battle Force 2000 guy. Man, <laughs> yeah. man. It's a, it's and then a they, popular code name. And then yeah. they also had a pulverizer, which I'm sorry, wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> and it was complete. And I was like, hmm, no surprise there. Only Joe vehicle to work a popple into its design. Yeah. If you remember popples. Oh yeah, I know, I know those things. Those tubes that sort of compacted and then. Oh yeah, you got one of those, Steve. The pulverizer. It's wonderful. (laughs) As far as I can recall, it made one comic book appearance in GI Joe's operations in the Emirates of Benzene, which was an allegory to like the Operation Desert Storm Iraq conflict which was happening around about the same time. Anyway, the pulverizer was taking point into a enemy-held city. I think it was the capital of Benzene, mm-hmm. which is, I suppose, an allegory to Kuwait. 
uh, and it gets hit by an anti-tank missile, <laughs> and <laughs> the caption is, the pulverizer just got pulverized. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, yeah, that's the last statement you ever have to have on that vehicle. It just, yeah. oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I guess it's just a running good. joke from Homer. It's like, God, another toy I have to work in. Do you guys want that in? The hammer, okay. the raider. No, okay, the pulverizer. Well, I'm just going to make it the butt of a joke. <laughs> the yeah. pulverizer just got pulverized. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Tick that one off the list. And then my last, last, last little thing, because this is quite funny. A friend and I went uh, this past weekend. We actually were just looking for, I suppose you could call it a Chinese suit. It's just for the Tai Chi, uh, just because we're looking at doing Tai Chi exhibitions for the Kung Fu School. So we went to all of the China malls in the country, and I walked into this obscure little shop that sells beads and things. And the woman wouldn't let me take photos, but she had a whole bunch of these factory runoff G.I. Joes that she had set up, and they had like little glasses in their hands. Like she had like plastic little cups and things in their hands, and they were sitting there all having like a nice drink around some little table that was like 1 to 18 scale. It was mostly the modern era giant shoulder figures. No, uh, not so modern era. Come on, man. New sculpt, make... new sculpt era. New yeah. sculpt, thank you. New sculpt era. But they did have a very cool little vintage figure there. Well, when I say vintage, it's a recolor. I think it was a DTC or pre, just, just before DTC. Mm-hmm. But it's a gung-ho, the 2001 gung-ho. And he's got the tan shirt and the sort of olive green pants. You sure uh, it was a tan shirt? It's tan it just yeah. discolored because... If it's the gung-ho that came with the Desert Coyote, that shirt should be white. No, 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 it's not that one. No, no, this one is a... He came in a two-pack. I checked it out. He came in a two-pack with... uh, I think it's Tunnel Rat or something. Anyway, I got him. And he's great. And he was 20 bucks. Like, 20 bucks our currency. So that's $2 for our our American listeners. And... uh, I'm glad he found a good home, because God knows. Yeah, no, he was... The sculpt era. Yeah, that that stuff could stay there. But yeah, it was so cool. And it comes with such an awesome machine gun. That is not even the gun he really comes with, but it's just so awesome. And he's got some other fangly handgun that looks like it belongs to a Cobra officer because it's just insane. It's got lots of detail. I'll send you guys a picture now. Maybe we'll put that picture on the Facebook page. Please do. Otherwise, that is enough for Paul's new stuff, uh, new and cheap discount stuff. <laughs> and, it's the only yeah. way to roll, bro. These yeah, are tough times, time. man. You oh, can't yeah. be dropping like $300 for a mincing sealed box Skystorm. No, not anymore, because it's probably $600 now. <laughs> Skystorm. God, why did I say that? I meant Phantom X-19. Anyway. anyway. Hey, Robbie, we haven't heard much from you, buddy. My colleagues and I, we kind of, we, we do lots of board games. So I recently purchased a board game called Red November, which is basically a bunch of gnomes <laughs> on a submarine and they're trying to hey, we, run, we, run, we run a politically correct podcast okay no no they actually are gnomes the term not... is vertically challenged politically <laughs> no, challenged it's... fat people no, big red beards between... yeah they have big beards it's kind of like a mix of like Russian stuff and I, mean, I suppose it's a play on what's Red October and stuff like that um, but it's quite a cool game it's a cooperative game and you're trying to survive for an hour um, to be rescued. And then as you, well, I mean, not real time, but the board itself, each space, as you move along the edge of the board represents a minute. And whenever you try to fix something, you have to try and you decide how long you want to do it for. 
and <laughs> and and the longer you take to do something, the the better your chances are of rolling to to succeed at it. But then the more time you take to do stuff, the more bad things are going to happen on the ship. Like more things are going to be set on fire, things are going to get flooded, a kraken might come along and try and devour the ship. But yeah, it's a lot of fun, but like very frustrating because we played about three times now and we haven't won. Except for the one time. <laughs> <I survived. laughs> but the cool thing about the game is that when you get to the last 10 spaces on the board, if you are able to get outside, you can decide to abandon everyone else. And if, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> if they that lose, if they, if they all die, then you win the game. <laughs> and that's what I did today. I just abandoned everyone else. I was like, okay, I, I don't see us winning this, so I think I'm going to win on my own. And I did. Oh, very good. <laughs> well, clearly that's the way to do it. Ultimately, you have to make peace with the fact that you guys sell out your friends. And it's a yeah, question exactly. of who's going to sell out their friends sooner. It's kind yeah, of like I mean, the morality at the end of The Dark Knight. <laughs> True. You detonated the other ship. Well done, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> you could have rewritten Nolan's dark masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. uh, I got out. I did it all for myself. But, but I mean, the thing is, it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, it's a cool game. So maybe I'll start a board game podcast. I think there are enough podcast board game type stuff not to need really? this little African perspective. Yeah, yeah none fun. of them coming out of Cape Town, bro. You need to, like, rock the Cape Town board game scene. <laughs> yeah, bro. I could probably do that. Maybe I'll start a podcast with my colleagues. Excellent. I mean, we have enough fun talking shit anywhere while we're playing. I, I think it could be funny to hear. Table mountain, tabletop. That'd be cool. And it started here on episode 33 <laughs> of G.I. Joburg. All rights reserved. Copyrights pending. Damn it. <laughs> on the back of episode 32, where I discussed um, the Action Force, I went to a comic book store here in Brighton, United Kingdom, and thumbed through old back issues of Battle Action which is the publication that the Action Force comic book was uh, in its early run here in the UK. I found a few issues uh, chronicling the early adventures of the Action Force and bought them and took them home. Uh, they're about two pounds a piece, which actually, in retrospect, was quite a bit of bob for, for basically what is newspaper um, mm. black and white uh, comic books with no covers. Uh, but anyway, they came in bags with backing board, and they were bought at a comic book shop. So obviously, you know, the guy knew exactly what he was selling. It wasn't like I went to some crappy newsagent with back issues of FHM and sandwiched in between them were some ancient uh, pieces of newspaper. Anyway, the Action Force bullpen was massive. These guys writing back in the mid-80s basically were – War writers who wow. then, well, I mean, it, it was, it, that, that was how it was done at the time. I mean, you wrote for Red Johnny, which was a, a tale about an allied soldier fighting within the Russian army against the Nazis. Interesting. You'd write for that one week and then you'd write for this thing called Action Force the other week where you basically had to write believable soldier stories about 
characters that were also action figures. So there was a kind of a disconnect between the Action Force toy properties themselves and the, the contents of the stories. And it felt like they were always trying to pull them back towards being about the toys. So the stories would be going off on, on its own tangent, and then all of a sudden you'd see a Action Force vehicle just shoehorned in there. Uh, I thought there was less, perhaps less control from Hasbro on what these writers did. And as a result, they took the stories in their own directions. It's like each person who did a stint on Action Force focused on a specific character and made it their protagonist. So you had issues that spotlighted Torpedo, for instance. Mm-hmm. Did Torpedo ever get any spotlight in the entire Marvel Comics uh, American G.I. Joe run? He no. didn't really get spotlighted. Yeah, he was just running around in his wetsuit in, like, I think it was the Library of Congress or something like that as Cobra <laughs> was coming to bomb it up. <laughs> I think it was like the, the mint, like they made money there or, I don't know, they inked money there. There were oh, plates. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It was the mint. Yeah, Cobra right. was going to, I don't know, put poison gas in there. It was Dr. Venom, and it was the sort of the teens of the run. Anyway, um, I suppose in many respects, Larry Harmer is to blame. By being just one guy who basically had complete creative control over the direction that G.I. Joe took, he had his favorites, and he played the story out with an inner circle of core characters. But with the anonymity that the Action Force had uh, at the hands of a plethora of, of writers, each writer brought their own flavor, their own ideas, and their own focus without necessarily having a core storyline that was being furthered. It was very mm. episodic. It was very much like a digest without any major storyline being furthered. So essentially, Action Force's battle action run in the mid-80s was very much like G.I. Joe Special Missions. And that's, that's exactly cool. why I like Sorry, it. Yeah. yeah, I like absolutely. that a lot, actually. Mm. It spread the focus so nicely. He had a story that spotlighted Ricondo doing a one-man mission in the jungle. Uh, you had Snowjob doing a one-man mission in the frozen north. You had this mission which starts out with Torpedo spearheading a daring raid on like a Cobra base, uh, coastal base, and Cobra cameras identify him, and they run up a database on this operative because now they've got his face, they've got his speciality, they managed to figure out who he is, that he's a member of Action Force, and where he comes from, and they stage a raid on his home. And this is interesting because in G.I. Joe, Torpedo was a native of Hawaii. Oh, oh yeah? <laughs> in Action Force, he's a Dutchman. All oh, right. And he's got this very secluded home right on the coastline somewhere in Holland, or in the Netherlands, I should say. And they basically assault the place with water moccasins and eels. And uh, Torpedo <laughs> <laughs> torpedoes on the run through, like the low-lying, uh, what's it, whatever it's called, the, the, the dikes, very flat, very coastal, very wetlandy areas of the Netherlands. And it's a fascinating read. Of course, there are also other fascinating tidbits thrown in there, like <laughs> Storm Shadow flying around in a robo-skull. That's, that's, that's a beauty. <laughs> they also had an episode or an issue uh, featuring the Z-Force captain 
Captain Campbell mm. in the desert trying to f- track down Red Wolf, who was Wild Weasel's British name, who was flying, once again, a robo-skull and just wrecking havoc in the desert. And they worked in a storyline about a handful of the Z-Force personnel being traitors. And that was a storyline that G.I. Joe never dabbled with because G.I. Joe never had anonymous troops that they could just use as throwaway soldiers to to make into traitors. I mean, if you made a named G.I. Joe a traitor, that was a big deal. You couldn't really have those kind of storylines. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think Larry Harmer did. If you were a G.I. Joe and sold on a G.I. Joe blister card, if you were a good guy and not Cobra the Enemy, guess what? You never became Cobra the Enemy. Yeah, Yeah, I think probably the only exception is what Storm Shadow and then maybe Mercer. Well, they both defected to Joe. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like once you've been named a good guy, you like maybe there was a director from Hasbro. Like these are good guys, those are bad guys. You know, stick with it. I still find Storm Shadow very much in the bad guy closet. There, I think he's just not entirely sure where his loyalties lie or what he really is. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Storm Shadow is the character that points to the fact that there are no bad guys. No one enters this world with a, an evil agenda. And Storm Shadow is th- perhaps the clearest example of that, that he can flip-flop between sides, not because he's a mercenary, but because of his own conflicted sense of what is right. Yeah, it's shades of grey. Absolutely. And- I mean, to paint someone as a Machiavellian moustache twirling villain i suppose that's what toys and and things that are focused at children try to do but we really appreciate it as adults to dabble in the gray area a little bit like Mm. maybe cobra commander's ideology isn't so bad we could have a whole podcast about that well (laughs) yeah the writers that listen out for that and if in the future listeners Writers that Cobra Commander, enough. bad guy or just misunderstood? Well, <laughs> exactly. I think as it's a huge challenge to write something like that, but that is the most rewarding kind of story you can write, where you have three-dimensional villains. You can't even call them villains. They're they're just antagonists, personnel with yeah. uh, with another point of view to like the popularly held in a real American hero, flag waving, good guy stuff. In a lot of the comics these days, they are doing that. Often, previously, villains are kind of good guys, or they flesh them out a, a bit more. Like, you know, there are reasons why they choose to do what they do. They aren't automatically evil. It's just like, you know, they like the freedom of just doing whatever they want. You know, like Magneto no. flip-flop between bad guy and a good guy for many years. But he um, always served the mutant cause. So, yeah, he had a, an idea. He just it just depends on on yeah, like like do other people agree with him or not? It's the old adage about you know one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. One thing that I've always actually appreciated about GI Joe is that in the comic book it's not always that clear cut. Like what happens is bad guy or bad guys, okay, characters like Zartan who were bad guys, characters like the Baroness, characters like like uh, Destro over time in the comic book, starts becoming more grey than they are black. Destro stops becoming a bad guy, or we start seeing a side of Destro that is more honourable, so he stops being the sort of uh, moustache-twirling villain. 
Uh, especially with that section where, for example, he saves uh, Hawk from the jugglers, for example. Well, that I think what we see there cool. is a maturing of, firstly, the readership and also mm-hmm. the writing. By that stage, Harmer and the other writers and the artists and all the personnel working on G.I. Joe started realizing, hang on, this isn't going to be a two-year product cycle. G.I. Joe might be here for a good long while. It's yeah. the most popular toy in the world right now. Um, we're going to be saddled with these characters for, for a little bit longer, and uh, we need to start creating stories that we want to create. It's not just a case of paying the bills anymore. This is becoming quite a big deal. I don't know. That's how I envision it working. And also the readers themselves. I mean, if you started out as a seven-year-old in 1982 reading your first issues of G.I. Joe with wobbly, milk-toothed awe, by 1987, you're you're a teenager. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. That's my math for you. Yeah. <laughs> you you're kind of nearly a teenager, uh listeners. Uh especially if you're a comic reader. You mature quicker. Ha, huh. yes. With this whole uh GI Joe or with the GI Joe Con or Joe Con as it's uh, more affectionately called, have you guys checked out anything? Have you guys been I mean, I know you mentioned uh checking out some of, some of Justin Bell's tweets uh earlier, Steve. It's a pity that the um re-release Eco Striker doesn't have a water cannon. But it's a nice reuse of the, the Ninja Striker, whatever. Yeah. And simply because it can accommodate six figures instead of an All Strikers four. Mm. It's got those back sills, which are very nice. And that means Ozone, Flint, Clean Sweep, Shebang, and Outback can all don't ride the Eco Striker. And don't have to use Battlecopters. <laughs> Amen. Rob, have you had a chance to see some of the stuff that's coming along, or um, have you I've checked out any of the coverage? Yeah, some of the pictures of like you know the uh, convention exclusive stuff and the club stuff, like Tijbang or Shebang, or whatever it is. <laughs> Two votes for Shebang. Pronounced <laughs> Shebang. Oh. Shebang. Shebang. Okay. And yeah, um, she moves, she moves. and also like uh, oh, an Outback. Outback looks really cool, and I love that his backpack is like so different and he comes with like a can you know like a big jug of water or whatever it is but i think outback looks really awesome i can destroy the illusion of outback for you but but hear me (laughs) out because it's something i've been dealing with gi joe since modern era steve sort of pointed this out to me and it's one of those you know once you see it you can't unsee it things but uh that outback is actually snow job There's a snow job figure that has all of those accessories. The only thing Outback doesn't what? seem to have there are the skis. He also, I, I can't tell in the pictures, but he also doesn't seem to have, like, there's a top that he comes with as well that you can mm-hmm. roll out. You can make, like, a tent out of the ski poles. You can link the ski poles together at, with the skis, and you can make, like, a whole tent thing for him. Oh. Well, I mean, that's kind of acceptable. I mean, I think I don't think they're going to be creating totally new figures. They'll just be repainting other ones. But this repaint looks really good. I like, yeah, I no. like the, the setup. You know? And then on the other side of the scale, those are some of the best parts to retool. Those are the kind of things that I wish we'd see more retooling of. Because yeah. uh, what Steve sort of enlightened me to was when I got my first Alley Viper, he mentioned that it was a lot of Snake Eyes' as parts. And I hadn't had that version of Snake Eyes yet, so I couldn't 
compare. So I was looking at this Ali Viper with complete and utter awe. And then I finally got my Snake Eyes, and I was like, oh, I see it now. You know, that kind of thing. And then I thought, wow, it's actually really clever how they managed to hide these things and move them around. It's only been in recent years where it's been sort of blatantly obvious. Like, for example, Chebang has got some serious reuse of parts from figures that I've got an abundance of, like that temple defending snake eyes and... Basically every ninja that you ninja figure, have yeah. acquired, there's some element of Chebang. Well, look, that's acceptable because we've got a new new character. Yeah, With exactly. Outback, we're getting an old character, one that's been done before. But, yeah. hear me but. out. All that gear that came with Snowjob is limited in its application because it's kind of posited under Snowfigure. You can only yes. play with him in the snow. Yes. Under Outback, all of a sudden, that equipment, all that gear, has a new lease on life because all of a sudden, mm. any environment accommodates it. No, exactly. It's basic that's what I'm saying. Survival stuff, which is what Outback's all about, I guess. Well, I don't yeah, know. One, one might argue earlier. that yeah. he's a little but, bit too geared. I mean, survival in Outback sense means using the land. He's yes. kind of a Bear Grylls type character. So to have a fucking pot and pan and water <laughs> jug, this like really, really, he's gonna weigh himself down with all that shit. Please, he'll eat off a piece of tree bark. Thank you. No, well, exactly that. But I mean, like I was getting at earlier, those are the kind of parts that we do need to see retooling of or reuse of because they're great sort of accessories to a figure that could, like Outback that could really you know benefit from having them. Uh, as you mentioned, the snow job accessories tend to be more focused on snow job and being in wintry situations. It just but always yeah, limits your scope for the equipment if it comes with a snow figure, if it comes with a geography-specific type of figure desert no. snow jungle if you're specified it shoehorns you your equipment is less useful and it's fantastic gear it needed to find its way into another figure's assortment but yeah rob i have to say love that outback i do like him a lot i don't think i'm gonna grab him which is quite surprising for me to say but that's mostly because there's a lot of stuff that has come out here that at first thought I was kind of lukewarm about, but then I saw them announce like characters, like characters that we haven't had yet. And mm. that gets me excited. And like, You're referring if, to the figure subscription service announcements. Stuff, yes, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like Psychos and Repeater. Yeah. And that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, that I can dig it. I can dig that stuff because if Hasbro doesn't release any new product, then I've got a little bit more money, so to speak, to maybe fork out $30 for one of these bad boys. I don't know if Alpine version 2 is going to find his way in my collection or if <laughs> Bombstrike will, but I do know that Psychart will. I think Steve turned me on to Psychart as a, a, a necessary figure um, in an earlier episode. Uh, Repeater's cool. Uh, this hit and run is great. I love this hit and run. Let's, uh, for the purpose of the listeners, just, uh, just a rundown of the 12 figures that have been announced for your listening pleasure, and this is all on Justin's uh, website, Generals Joe's, and also repeated on yojo.com's Facebook page. But the figure subscription service 3.0 figures are Alpine's second version, which is from the Spy Troops line, Bomb Strike, which is a female Joe, Psych Out in his vintage colors based on the Night Force concept. Repeater, also vintage colors, based on the Night Force concept. 
Hit and Run, which is from the concept case of three years ago now, I think. I believe, yeah. Wow. Possibly. Three, but, two or uh, three years ago, yeah. It's a nice, chunky update on Hit and Run, and one that was much needed, because cool-looking vintage figure, not-so-cool 25th anniversary re-release. Muskrat, which is completely new, old character. It's never been done before. And he's in his vintage colors. Spearhead, also vintage colors. The figure itself based on the Night Force convention set. Big Ben, which is very exciting with a new head sculpt. Yes, a new character. We love that, especially when it's a cool character. Uh, An SAS trooper is always Always welcome. Always welcome. The Crimson God Immortal, which (laughs) (laughs) figured you might like, which is uh, the 1990s Crimson God update. Slice, which we've been seeing dribs and drabs of his tooling coming at us. I imagine he's going to be very Frank and Joe-ish. We're going to see a lot of parts reuse, but it'll be nice to see them in the familiar red and black mottled uh, style. Uh, yeah. The Night Creeper leader, which I always thought was a butt-ugly figure, maybe with modern era tooling, they can dust that off and, and make it something cool. And Viper, which is a female night attack jeep driver. Which I, I believe I believe was a Jinx mold back in the day. Uh, this was in the the 1997 re-release of GI Joe. Yeah, from the pictures, I mean, they're showing. I mean, they don't have figure pictures, but I mean, the concept art it does look very much like a Jinx figure. An evil Jinx. Justin yeah. Bell seems very excited, particularly about Hit and Run because it's his favorite Joe and Viper for some reason. Can't imagine why. Um, I, I believe it might have something to do with his Dio story, which has been very long in the tooth. <laughs> I think it's been over a decade of Dio writing. I started reading some of his stuff early on in my uh, rediscovery of G.I. Joe, and he's still going, man. He just released another installment. I suppose he wanted to time it with Jocon. And I just got to say, man, where the hell does he find the time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, does he have a life beyond G.I. Joe? I'd be very interested to ask him. Whether it's recording podcasts, whether it's writing articles for his website, whether it's setting up Dio story shoots. Okay, I'm going to say it. You can write me some hate mail if you want, Justin. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be glad to address it. And, and once again, it's don't talk if you can't do any better, but... But uh, I don't know. I've never tried, so uh, let me roll the dice. The Dio stories aren't that great, but I know exactly how much time <laughs> it takes to do something right like that. To yeah, put it all together, to script it, to get the right figures, to, to customize the right figures, to create sets. On top of doing all of these uh, very photogenic reviews, and, you know, writing lots of copy for them. Justin Bell's really been quite on top of things there. I mean, like you said, <laughs> it takes a lot of time for the man to do what he does. And, yeah, you know, if the Dio stories aren't maybe the best thing that we've ever read, they still have some modicum of, of entertainment value. I know I've read one or two of them myself, and I also didn't think... Sorry, Justin. I mean, this is not like we're not trying to, like, rip you to pieces here. I also don't think they're the best, but 
I did get some en- enjoyment out of them, and I, I do enjoy some of the, the shots and everything that is done in there, and that's cool. And, I'm and just I think so pleased that grown men can play with their toys. It is great, and <laughs> there's hope and, for us all, friends. We're not alone. <laughs> which also segues into a very nice rumor I've been reading about from JoeCon. There is apparently a poll, I definitely missed it over the last few weeks, but there is something called Shattered Glass or a Shattered Glass Universe for IDW, where apparently they have Joes and Cobras that are on different sides of the spectrum. Previous Cobras are now Joes. It's very much like that uh, episode from the cartoon. And apparently there's a lot of talk about some of those figures getting made. That, in a large degree, does sort of fall into a sort of a fan service type of thing. Well, I don't know if it gets you guys excited. It doesn't upset me. I'm actually like, hmm, it's actually kind of interesting. I can't say I have an opinion on it because I have no idea what you're talking about. But, yeah, neither do I, unfortunately. But yeah, okay, well... Uh, <laughs> let's talk about something I do know about. You know about. <laughs> Has anyone seen on YoJo's Facebook page, they've got some images from JoeCon, not a great deal, and I imagine there will be more released as as uh, the week wears on, but they have some customs... And the one custom is something that I've wanted to do for the longest time. I think ever since I saw the cross-section of the pit reproduced in uh, one of the early issues of G.I. Joe, it's like, I suppose, a meter by a meter, maybe a bit bit higher. Um, It's got the surface level, and then it extends below, like, like basically a stack of shelves. But it's got, in loving reproduction, the sort of buildings that make up the top level of the chaplain assistance motor pool at, at Fort Wadsworth. Yeah. And then the heavy equipment level with the Mobats, the Vamp. They've got a slugger in there. And then it's got all the subsequent levels. And just to kind of show off that they got it um, quite accurate to the source material, they have a, a picture of the original artwork I think, on the top level. So go check it out if you have a spare moment on um, yojo.com's Facebook page. Yeah, look, it's a personal dream of mine, and uh, I think seeing those images is going to spur me into action. It's time. It's time. It's so Except funny. I want, I want yeah. to put, put together a heavy equipment elevator that can elevate the 1983 HQ like they did huh. in issue 19, 18 or 19. Right. But I think let's rock our topic, because I can't think of anything more about JoeCon to say that hasn't been said already. Definitely. But first, before we get into our topic, I want to pick your brains, gentlemen. This is a quick-fire round of questions that I have for the two of you. Are you ready? Uh, more or less. Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> well, I hope you're not ready, because I wanted to catch you off guard. I think I'm ready. <laughs> Which of the I'm three... not ready. Which of the three small bikes is your favorite? The Ram, the Ferret, or the Silver Mirage? Paul? Um, I don't have a Ram, but I, it is my favorite one. Rob? Uh, yeah, I think probably the Ram as well. I think that that's the one you got, and I think I played with it, and I like it. Ram beats the Ferret and the Silver Mirage. Between the Skyhawk and Trouble Bubble, which do you prefer, Paul? Trouble Bubble. Robert. Yeah, I, I have to double that. Oh, Cobra beats Joe. Bubble bubble. Between the whale and the moray, which is your favorite, Paul? 
The whale. Oh, jeez. Uh, to be one, really know, fair, right? it's a really tough one. But I and it's by a margin. But I'm gonna say the whale. Hmm. Whale beats Moray. Robert. <laughs> well, I own. I, I own a whale. I played with Moray as well. Shit, this is also tough. But yeah, whale. Ah. It's the whale. Whales on top. Between the mobile <laughs> command center, the general, and the rolling operations command center, which do you prefer? Oh, jeez. Um, seeing as none of us have a general, you've yeah. I'm gonna say the MCC. Yeah. The sewing box. <laughs> the Jawa sand crawler. <laughs> yeah, it's just something about it. It's just so cool. It's made it into the video game. And it's just a rad toy. I like it a lot. And I really want one. It's on the top of my to-buy list. It's on. It's actually on the top five of my I-must-have-it list. Ah, so. All right. Okay. Roberts, between the mobile command center, the general, and the rolling operations command center, which is your favorite uh, mobile command center? <laughs> shit. That's I, would probably also... <laughs> I would probably also default to the... Uh command center the first one but i just like the look of the rock mm. i think it just looks so cool so i'm, I'm gonna say the rock good 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 choices all around i'd say good ah uh no love for the general then i suppose it's just just unwieldy and none of nah. us have one it's very difficult i mean i haven't seen one either myself personally in the flesh so to speak and it looks shitty it's too wide how do you even turn with that thing? Well, what what exactly do you do with an MCC except ride around the desert? <laughs> like, come on, that thing is ridiculous. So yes, very practical answer from you there, Rob, nominating the Rolling Operations Command Center from the direct to consumer period of GI Joe. Exactly. Uh, and our final question: Which do you prefer, Lino or He-Man? <laughs> Lino. Wow. I, I'll have to say He-Man because <laughs> recently I did, I don't know, one of those stupid quizzes, like, which 80s character are you? I think Paul did it and he he fortunately got G.I. Joe, but for some god-awful reason I got Masters of the Universe and I turned off to He-Man. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, on, on, the, on the one hand you've got uh, sort of a, a gay icon, on the other hand you've got a whiny little bitch who... Basically, grew up in a stasis pod. Yeah. Nobody right. wins, Rob. <laughs> I'm going to sit the fence on this one. That was fun, wasn't it? That was fun. I like that. Yeah. That was okay. good. This and other quick fire question rounds are next. But now, we're doing what G.I. Joe Berg does best top five lists. And completely at random, I have selected that Paul will be. Asking us his top five list first. Originally, I was going to go with uh, what are your favorite vehicles with uh, yellow missiles? <laughs> and I thought, I thought, wow, that's obscure, but maybe I should do it. But no, this one's a little bit more fun. Your favorite Joes with removable helmets. Removable helmets, eh? Remember. Uh, yes. That's the count. Ah, damn it. So I can't say payload. My awesome green and black payload. Ah. <laughs> Who is a recolor from EcoForce Barbecue? Ah, whatever. Blech. 
Okay, well, I'm going to immediately rule out the 82-83 uh, straight-arm swivel-arm guys because their helmets were basic. True. Well, I mean, even... All the same. Yeah. Okay, that's for you. I mean, they they still game. You guys are welcome to use them, but yeah, they're that's still fine. Very game. No, I'm I'm saying process of elimination for myself. Oh I right. Think, I think released that early is going to cut it for me. I yeah. like, and this is a cheat, but in '84, Ripcord had essentially it's more than just a helmet. It's it's three pieces that marry together to make up his gear. But mm. because the helmet plugs into the harness. Uh, forming, I suppose, some kind of oxygen gear. That really makes for a nice presentation. It's the basic G.I. Joe helmet, but it's got a face mask that then straps around it to seal up his face. And then it's got a hose pipe that goes into his chest piece. So taken as a whole, that's a very nice entry for me. Oh, I agree. Um, I think it's a, great, uh, it's a great choice. I have a personal predilection towards the Astro Viper helmets. Yes. Because it just has all that retro 1970s uh, Moonraker fighting in space kind of vibe to it, I guess. Mm. I mean, a, no, fully, a fully regaled Astro Viper is such a retro cool Cobra. I agree. Cobra Cosmonaut. Yeah. Astro Vipers are one of my faves. So. Another Cobra from that same year, Hydra Viper. Ha, knew it. <laughs> because Hydra, I mean, it, it transformed a Viper into essentially a, something horrific. There's yeah, something like very, one. very monstrous <laughs> about Hydra Viper. And the toy <laughs> was a bit goofy. But as a child, I was always fueled by the card art. And on the card, a Hydra Viper looks terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, it seems like his outfit is almost themed to strike fear into his opponents. In the flesh, the toy looks ridiculous. It's purple. It's got red clawed web uh, fins. Uh, the helmet looks bizarre. But as I say, fueled by the card art, my imagination just kind of leapt off that piece of cardboard and 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 into my my play, which made Hydra Viper a terrifying subhuman kind of mutation viper and he became quite a fantastical figure as well he uh, uh, became a science fiction-y kind of character who could fly who could uh, slice people open with his webbed claw mm. I mean that whole open hand um, to, to show show off the webbing it kind of made the hand completely functionless except it made him a standout cobra a very one-of-a-kind kind of figure so that always had an allure for me made him something special something unique gosh so that's three uh how about you rob it's difficult well one i have to agree with is the astro viper i've definitely always liked the look of that one um yeah he does look very retro and awesome that's oh, so sci-fi i love sci-fi looking dudes yeah, that's um, actually what made me choose the topic. <clears throat> yeah. Rob, I'm hearing and... so much clicking from your mouse, man. <laughs> he is your drawing like a mofo. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the ones that I really do like. It's 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 tough to try and remember all of them. But one that I liked based more on the card art, 
than the I mean, and the figure itself is the 1987 payload. I like the look, especially on the file card. It just has like a really cool, like really retro look. And just no, the look of the helmet itself is pretty cool. I I like that look. Wow, what else? What else? I think. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm going to jump in with another one of my top fives. This is essentially just a personally held favorite. I guess it was a Joe that I got early on enough, and he left an enormous impression for a Joe that really, in most people's collections, kind of, if you had him at all, he faded to the background. And in subsequent years, people have made this the much maligned subset. It's right up there with DEF. But I can't help but think that this is one of the reasons why you chose this top five list, Paul, because... Mm -hmm. They recently got re-released. I'm going to say this figure's in the EcoForce. Mm. EcoForce <laughs> Year 1. And of those three G.I. Joes, namely Flint, Ozone, and Clean Sweep, the helmet that really, really fired my imagination and, and made for a truly characteristic G.I. Joe is Clean Sweeps. I had a feeling you were going to say him. Definitely. He, does if- the has- <laughs> he does the hazard suit, the hazmat suit, so well. Oh, he okay, does. Airtight was probably the worst figure of 1985. Just doofy-looking sculpt, sadly. Uh, for an interesting character concept, the toy really just looked clunky and and out of place in probably G.I. Joe's most shining year in terms of sculpt and character design. Clean Sweep rectified all of that. The bulky hazmat suits, the color change battle damage, which is completely allowable because this guy should look mucky most of the time. Um, His specialty, his equipment, but most specifically, the helmet. He stood apart because he he didn't have a backpack squirty squirty. He had equipment that was unlinked to the syringe squirt gun features. So you could get rid of that clunky yellow thing and still have a rather serviceable, cool, well-equipped figure, complete with a pistol and this wicked cool readout display that attached to his backpack. Incidentally, I always plugged that into his uh, yellow anti-sludge bot. It went straight into one of the screw holes. I always used to slide his pistol into the backpack arm, and it fit the barrel clips in there perfectly. Anyway, oh, cool. more about the helmet. It's got creases, it's got an angular little portion, it's asymmetrical, and once again, and I really, that's all I have to say about that, the fact that it made him transcend G.I. Joe and become almost like a member of Mask, you know, Mobile Assault Strike Command, which was big for me at the time. He was that, so essentially being a superhero with a, a helmet that would have some kind of super-powered effect. There was that angle. There was also the fact that he was a go-to space guy. Before there was Star Brigade, I would have Joes in space. And who were the Joes in space? Typically the Eco-Force, or Eco-Warriors, I should say. So he had a lot going for him because of his helmet. Robbie, you got any more? Another option, which I really like him because it just makes him look really sci-fi and properly like a space dude, is Countdown. Oh! Yes, I was waiting for Countdown. Somebody <laughs> then, had to Then we are tied. Well, excellent. Yeah, because 
because it's one also you... one of those ones that come down properly and covers his entire head. And, you know, it just it doesn't like reveal the neck. Once again, it comes down to the shoulders. Mm. And it's beautiful with the silver and the, the, the blue. Uh, Three colors really on, like on one sculpted piece. That's, that's Yeah, silver, stuff. blue, and the white. Yeah, mm. it's gorgeous. I, I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, I was um, I was uh, waiting for Steve to call that one actually personally. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and it's so um, it's so accurate. I like it. It's so realistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's another one. So there was Astro Viper Payload eighty seven countdown, and one that because it feels like a superhero to me and also kind of very maskish is Decimator. Mm. Oh wow! With that awesome sort of Cyclops visor look, which I Hammerhead, really like. Hammerhead Shark. Looking yes. helmets. <laughs> and yeah, just the, the figure vehicle. himself is pretty cool because he's got really basic green pants with those cool, like, weird lower leg brace type looking things. And his jacket is cool with the sort of almost like insignia on, not insignia, but he's got medals or whatever on his left side there. And the figure himself looks awesome, which I, I quite like. Definitely then, fodder for some kind of fan service. I mean, yeah. Decimator, I've argued this before. He's a one-of-a-kind, unique character. He's not a pool of vipers mm. or yeah, decimators. Like he is, there is one guy called Decimator. Make a story. What is his story? Maybe I should make a dive story. Can I shoot Maybe it for during, you? Yeah, you can totally shoot it for me. I'm going to write it, and then we can make it. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Joe first dive story. What does <laughs> Dio stand for? Diorama. Diorama. That makes sense. I've just Mortal been schooled. <laughs> Do I have to make up a diorama? Can't I just shoot in nature? Yeah, well, that's also fine, actually. The I'd whole like to subscribe to the, the vow of chastity, the dogma 95 rules. <laughs> Natural lighting, no, nothing artificial. Yep. Uh, great. Oh, my word. That went over my head, but now I feel schooled. <laughs> <laughs> it's something, uh, what's his name? Lars von Trier? Yes, yeah. and him and, and a few of the other guys yeah, came up with. A very minimalist approach to filmmaking, which yeah, calls like for a great deal of things as you find them. There are no sets. There are no props except what is already at hand in the space that you're shooting in. You can't yeah. mount the camera on a tripod. You can only climb a ladder and shoot from elevated position if you want to or use handheld. Mm. Stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. um, it's it's just a way. It's it's like you get a bunch of rules and just to kind of ma- challenge yourself, make a film in a certain way. There's some been some interesting ones. My favorite one <laughs> is called The Idiots, which is about a bunch of actors who act like retards so they don't have to work and they just get to live on government subsidies and stuff, and they just hang around in a house, fuck and drink and. Fascinating. And they have now found their way onto G.I. Joburg. They have. They have. Um, And then my last one, I mean, there's so many cool helmets. I wanted to cheat and say Undertow, but it's not really a helmet, it's a mask. Oh, no, I I can totally vouch for Undertow. That would have been fine for me. I think it's a good (laughs) choice, but then, like, a really far-out helmet, once again, would be Toxo Viper from 1988. Yeah, his is great. Yeah, it's very distinct. It's very distinctly Toxo Viper. Oh, for giggles, I made a little list as well, just to throw out, but nothing major. Um, I went with, okay, Undertow, because I love how fragile that, that helmet is, actually. And it's just very snug and very accurate for the line. 
both helmets prior to that have been these massive hunking affairs. And yeah, the Undertow's helmets seem to fit the card art a lot better than most. The Laser Viper, if only because when the Laser Viper's got his helmet on, he looks awesome. And it hides what I think is a very average face sculpt. But it completes the look and makes him look much better. General Hawk, I know I've said it before, but I really love that helmet. I think that helmet's great. I also love the, the removable... The dome. But I also love that it's got the removable glass. and It's a really great little technical piece. Charbroil, of all characters. Because Charbroil... Who the fuck is Charbroil? But he looks damn awesome with his helmet on. And Scary. that is just... Yeah, he's freaky. He's like... He's a freaky fire Joe. He's crazy. And then lastly, Blizzard. Because... Blizzard has always been a figure that's caught my eye. I've loved Blizzard. We've mentioned it on the show. Steve got one. I had, saw him in hand, and I was just like, holy shit, this helmet's actually pretty cool. Even though it's a bit like big for what it should be, it's just really cool. It also does complete Blizzard's look. It does make him stand out in, in a good way, and I really like it. I mean, there's lots here, but those would be my five favorites that I can I'd think of. I'd say what bugs me the most about Blizzard is not the size of his helmet, but the fact that he's not wearing his hood underneath it. His oh, hood okay. is rolled up and at the base of his neck, and he's got a very exposed flesh tone neck extending yeah. up into this helmet. And that always bugged me that you're fully winterized. You're going out there into the freezing cold, and you're going to leave your neck exposed like that. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a concession made so that you can have an unhelmeted blizzard that is unfettered by any kind of additional sculpting. Mm-hmm. but he needs to have something a bit more chunky around his neck when he's wearing that helmet. Otherwise, it just doesn't look right. He's got, like, the back of his head and his hair kind of peeking out, the back of the helmet, and that should all be covered in, like, a padded white fabric mold. Yeah, to keep the Arctic gear look. And then also just something I want to say about one of your selections there, Steve. I think Clean Sweep's helmet is also great because it serves a purpose, not only what we've discussed earlier in the show, but also to hide Clean Sweep's face. <laughs> he just looks like an old man, like this like guy in his 50s with like a receding hairline. And like, what's he doing in G.I. Joe? But put the helmet on, he's all good. I'd like to think that Clean Sweep and Ozone are like essentially professors. Yeah. Okay, they've done some military training. They served in whatever armed branch before G.I. Joe scooped them up. But G.I. Joe scooped them up after they'd kind of rotated back into civilian life, written a few PhDs worked uh, in some kind of government lab. I mean, these guys are brainiacs. Brainiacs mm. with guns. And they do uh, look it. Um, so, yeah, I'd say yeah. the sculpting on good old Ozone and Clean Sweep is accurate. It's very character-driven. They don't look yeah, like square-jawed commandos. And they look very they, unique, which I think is quite cool. You know, they, they aren't like the perfect soldier dude. It's nice that the line has variety in the look of the soldier. They're like the hippies, man, of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Like, save the, save the planet. And also something I just want to mention about Rob's selection, I'm surprised that there is no Scoop. And I'm surprised <laughs> because Scoop has a removable helmet and because I've It's a two-piece affair. Yeah, and I've often found Scoop's helmet to be so synonymous with the character's design that I actually forgot it was removable uh, until it I started going awesome through this. awesome without it on... Looks so, yeah, he looks so great. average. Uh, like cool his hair as well. It doesn't look straight. It looks <laughs> like a bit like curly, which I quite like. It's I based like on that. a real newscaster. Yeah. Oh, he's got a smoke. Uh, I'll tell you now. He Leonard yeah. Michaels. Leonard Michaels. Oh wow. wait, Mike Leonard. Mike Leonard. Sorry, Leonard <laughs> Michaels Leonard. is actually Scoop's name. 
Huh. Not that that's relevant to, you know, three kids who grew up in South Africa, but it's yeah, nice but... to know that it's a characteristic real face in the G.I. Uh, Joe line. And he's maybe. not the fridge or Sergeant cool. Slaughter. Well, Dave and I used to always have a little bit of a giggle because when we used to watch the... You know how movies always go, uh, this is a portrayal of fictional events, etc., etc. No fa- and no names and faces are real, blah, blah, unless specified otherwise or whatever. But in the G.I. Joe movie... That was terrible, like, Paul. Try that again. <laughs> I can't... Um, I can't, like, quote it verbatim, but it's it's just that disclaimer that movies have to say that nobody in the film was, uh, is real... You know, in case there's some kind of retard out there that thinks that it's all real. Any similarity is purely Any coincidental. Coincidental. But but Sergeant Slaughter is real. And he's very much the same character in the movie as he is in wrestling. <laughs> so David and I always used to have a good laugh about that. Because we were like, oh, that's so cool. Sergeant Slaughter's real. Everybody's fake, but Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> so, anyway. I must say, with Sergeant Slaughter, the lag that we had in getting G.I. Joe was very marked, because by the time I had the action figure, he was no longer a household name in wrestling. That's right. By yeah. that era, it was like Jake the Snake and Gold Dust and The Undertaker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just know this because David used to watch WWF back in Hong Kong. Okay. So that's how I knew. <laughs> this wouldn't be a top five list if we didn't order our top five. So for me, coming in at number five, I'd have to say Clean Sweep's Helmet. It's not quite as rock star as the rest. At number four, Astro Viper. Number three, I'm going to go with Hydro Viper. Number two, Countdown. And that means that uh, the very humble number one is Ripcord from 1984. Oh, yeah. Good choices. Thank Ripcord you. has the same appeal as the undertow for me. So, very cool. Thank you. How about you, Rob? Toxic Viper, number five. Payload 87 at number 4, Decimator at number 3, Astro Viper number 2, and Countdown number 1. Oh, yeah. And if I must, then I must. Number 5 being Charbroil, mostly because I don't even have a toy. Laser Viper being 4, Blizzard uh, being 3, Undertow being 2, and General Hawk being 1 by a very narrow margin, mostly because General Hawk's helmet is just interesting. Yes, you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a special mention for me would be Barricade. <laughs> oh, exactly, he's da, like da, the da, Robocop da, da, of the team. But he's playing, but he's playing Goldeneye with big head mode on. That's all I'm saying. Oh, Lord. Jesus, that noggin's huge. <laughs> Did either of you see the reboot of Robocop? Robocop? Yeah. I haven't yet. Uh, not yet, no. Wow. We are not doing well, G.I. Joburg. Why? I got the toy. Because it's an 80s property <laughs> that got rebooted. Oh, well, you got the toy. Okay. Poor, you're absolved. I saw the toys. I was mm, teetering close to the edge. But I've become very purist in my toy uh, pursuits. It's vintage Joe. Or I just don't go. <laughs> yeah, I see where you're coming from. But I was very happy I got it. It's actually a little smaller than a G.I. Joe. Do you know that? If you put right. him next to a, a modern era, he's actually a bit shorter. He's actually well, the modern closer. era G.I. Joes have started becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. I swear to God. Repeater? Yeah. It's the size of a five-inch figure. Yeah, maybe. Like a Toy Biz 
old school superhero action figure. Yeah. That's Repeater. Or Roadblock for that for that matter. Who shares a lot of the same tooling. Yeah, well, I just thought it was quite cool that it's a bit shorter, which means that um, it kind of gives a good argument that modern era could actually be closer to the size of vintage Joe. Because uh, Robocop fits quite nicely in my tiger sting. Mm. Mm. <laughs> One of the <laughs> reasons the why I've sworn off the modern era figures, they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I've come full circle. I mean, it was exactly this time last year that I stopped buying modern era figures. And yeah, well, it was, who could blame you? Was it, was, it was in a dusty old toy shop in London where I saw an old school wetsuit and an old school Hydro Viper, in fact. Holy I shit. bought, yeah, I bought right. them, and since then, I've never looked back. It's been vintage all the way. Yeah. Like some old. All right. I think we have another top five list to get through. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to nominate myself. Why the hell not? What are the top five things... We have the new sculpt era to thank for. Ooh, 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 ooh. Can I, can I, can I answer first? Please do, because this is something that we've needed to get onto for some time. Just getting our heads around all that was the new sculpt era and trying our damnedest to find some appreciation for it. So go Wait, ahead, boy. New sculpt or modern era? New sculpt. Oh, shit. I, I thought I heard you say the modern era. In between period. Yeah. Okay. 2000 okay. and, I suppose, one or two to 2006. It's going to be very difficult for me to quote some examples here, but the first thing I want to say, and sorry, this is just because I heard you say modern era, and I actually noticed this today with my gung-ho figure, but modern era Joes are less intimidating because they have smaller crotches. If you look at vintage Joes, they have much bigger crotches, and therefore are more intimidating. Like, seriously, put them next to each other, you'll see what I mean. You'll be like, wow, Gung-Ho's got a massive crotch. But uh, let's talk seriously now. New Sculpt Era, I think one of the, the, the best things that New Sculpt Era brought us is weapon sculpts. If you look at the modern era, we have a lot of really great reused weapons from the New Sculpt Era. Notably, some of the sort of machine guns. I know the, I think it's the Range Vipers helmet is one of the things that comes from the New Sculpt era. So there have been a few carryovers into modern era that haven't been a bad thing. So that's definitely one. We've definitely seen accessories and tooling come from New Sculpt that has been good. Another thing for me, I think you guys benefited out of this more than I did, to be honest. But I find that the New Sculpt era sort of brought a lot of repainted vehicles into the line to go with some of the really shoddy vehicles that they had, like the Fang 3 and stuff. Oh, that yeah, ran- they brought the Destro's Dominator back, because mm. that was a great move. I like that, personally. They but- brought back the Hammer, except they plopped a multiple missile launcher on top of it, which looked like something from the Battle Wagon. Mm. Well, they uh, brought back the snowcats, but they chucked a gigantic spring-loaded launcher on top. Well, well the thing is, they made the. <laughs> Sorry, they, no, I'm being, no, no, I'm no, being no. devil's advocate. That's for sure. No, no, no. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, these are like shit things, but I'm glad that they happened then, uh, more so than happening now in modern era. I mean, I would die if we had firing launchers on on something like a vamp or something now. That would kill me. But because uh, we but do. because. <laughs> yeah, we do, but like what I'm talking about is like on a twenty on the twenty fifth vamp, you know, if they went and like 
decided that, oh, you know, 21st Vamp would do, be so much better with a firing rocket launcher. For example, with the snowcat you mentioned, they messed up there. So what did they do? They made a much better launcher, and when they re-released the snowcat. If I'm not, there's that orange rattler that comes yes. through from that line. We have that. I think that was a great move as well. That's something that came through. So the point I'm making is that it gave Hasbro a chance with a lot of money to make some very big, stupid mistakes so that we wouldn't have to feel a lot of those mistakes in a later line. I also think, and having a look at some of the new Sculpt Joes, there's a lot of very cool detailing on some of those Joes. In fact, some of the designs that they have for those figures are pretty cool, actually. I'm not going to lie. There were some good character designs there. Yeah, Um, Dr. Mindbender in a far more conservative outfit. That was a step in the right direction. And one that we've yet to get from the modern era. Exactly. Though we've got a forthcoming Arctic Dr. Mindbender, but it would be nice to have him in a lab coat, as they did in the new sculpt. Which brings me to this one little point that was quite cool. I was looking for Joe's on eBay, surprise. And there's some guy that's selling a loose Dr. Mindbender from that 7-pack, but he's selling it with like a custom lab coat. <laughs> it's a very cool lab coat. Like The lab coat's separate. Like It's like a special deal. And he hasn't like charged extras, just that that's what he's throwing in. But anyway... I digress. Let me just look at it again. So some of the tooling um, from New Sculpt era, some of the vehicles from Vintage era sort of being retooled for a slightly bigger scale figure, which has allowed for modern era to have vintage vehicles or neo-vintage vehicles, let's call it that. Character design. Some of the, like you said now, the Dr. Mindbender is a really great character design. And I'm pretty sure we're going to maybe start seeing some of that stuff filter through gently into oh, future long lines. enough. <laughs> yeah. And I refer uh, specifically to Dr. Martin Bender, but he's perhaps one of many examples. One of the other things as well is I've got some Valivus Venom 2-packs, and they have uh, small features like I think Mainframe has a flip-top computer that he carries on his arm. And yeah, I can only think of three really good things to come out of the, that era, and that's not because I don't care. It's just that I don't have a lot of experience with that new sculpt era. Damn. Fail. Top fail. five fail. Top five fail. <laughs> Paul fails to find five things he likes about the new sculpt era. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah, but I see that. The problem is it's just that it all falls under the same umbrella. I mean, I could have like broken it down and said, hey, face sculpts, because some of them are good, but it all falls under the same thing, tooling. So, yeah. So mine's more of an umbrella sort of coverage on it. Also, I'd be nitpicking stupid details that I don't think are impressive. I'm actually very keen to hear what Steve has to say, and by extension, Rob. Well, yeah. you're going to be hearing what Rob has to say, and by extension, Steve. But anyway, <laughs> Rob, can you think of five top things that we have the new sculpt era to thank? The um, dreaded red-headed stepchild of G.I. Joe. First thing, what I liked about the new period, I mean, maybe they haven't carried it over so much into modern era, is that they often did release a lot of different characters that hadn't been released before, and they perhaps created new characters, which sure. I thought was quite cool. Showcased oh, well, in the thing. Devil's Due comic books? Yeah, showcased in Devil's Due stuff. Like, um, there was this one weird Cobra guy, Heavy Water, he had a very cool look. Like, even, like, guys who didn't even have code names, like, um, the one guy, <laughs> Dr. Link Talbot, combat veterinarian. <laughs> I mean, what? Why? Why? But, but like, Hasbro's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're just, we're going with this. 
we're, we're, we're doing cool stuff. You know, we're, we're trying new stuff. So apparently you need a combat veterinary. I mean, what the hell does that... Oh, Lord. It's like they what? shots, croc masters, crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it. But that's what I like. They experimented with new characters and actually just taking stuff from properties and just bringing them into character form. Just trying new things, which I quite liked about the period. The other thing I think they did nicely was the durability of the figures. Mm. Because they used a different type of plastic. I wouldn't say a softer plastic, but just the type of plastic they used was a lot, felt a lot more durable and felt more playable. More forgiving on the grip. Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, you could play with it true. a lot more. Um, it, it, you and could you insert like larger items into their hands without breaking their, hands. their thumbs off. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, definitely exactly. prepared them for modern era. Yes. That's definitely a big thing that they learned from it, is that they just tried different materials. Because, I mean, also across the board, the figure construction isn't necessarily always the same. Like, they didn't always go for the T-crotch, though. They also did, you know, went for the kind of, like, forward swivelly type thing. So they were experimenting with, with the way that, that figures were built. And I think in that way, durability, figure construction, they kind of learned a lot. And I suppose part of that would be scaling as well. You know, I, I mean, a lot of the figures in this in-between period, the New Sculpt era, are very shoulder-heavy. I mean, they look like he-men, you know, with the very Trust wide the shoulders. It looks mm-hmm. very weird, but the majority of the figures all look like that. I mean, even the women to a certain degree. Beefy um, arms, small heads, yeah, tiny but some of them waist. Still, yeah, but some of them still manage to look feminine-ish. You know, like some of the Scarlet figures released in 2004 still look really good, I think. Baroness has um, a chihuahua head. Tiny. Yeah, let's, let's not mention it. Okay, another thing, yeah, which um, Paul mentioned was character design. They also tried a lot of different things in the way the characters looked. Like, they didn't just try to reproduce the same looks of the older characters. They would always try and, like, you know, find a variation on it. I mean, like, a really cool one that I liked was Wetsuit. It's a very, mm-hmm. very strange but very cool look with the blue and the white. I, I mean, I liked the one Wetsuit that released, I think, 2003. Ooh, I saw it earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still T-Crush, but just the look of it is cool. They were trying different things. I mean, also the variations on um, Destro as well. It's like a Destro with like a turtleneck on and like weird <laughs> pants and looking very gangster. I think that Destro, wasn't that his son from the comics or not? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Devil's Due did uh, that storyline. Yeah. Whether the, so whether the figure is a reflection of that or just yeah. a different design update for the Destro toy character, it's unclear. Yeah, but still... But it's definitely a different looking kind of Destro. Yeah, they were just trying so many different looks, just like seeing what what can we do that's different from what came before. And there's just so much variety in, you know, the new sculpt era, which I think is quite nice. Obviously, in the modern era, they haven't done so much. Yeah, because I fear it wasn't a very popular opinion. You say it's quite nice. Most people are like... Hang on, I want my Destro to look like Destro did back in 83. What the fuck is this thing? Yeah, Yeah, I think definitely, obviously, there was a backlash, but I like that. that Ain't broke, don't fix it. That's that's kind of G.I. Joe's watchword. We're all very pragmatic, most of us. Yeah, (laughs) but I I like things to look new and different. But it is obviously nice that the, I suppose, the modern era learned from that. People don't like new stuff. (laughs) So they were like, okay, cool, let's give them the old stuff, but update. Better. But still, I like the variety in character design. And then I think Paul also mentioned reissues of Vintage Vehicles, which is really awesome that they did so many. 
so many choices. I mean, okay, they tried them for themselves to make those weird miniaturized things that always had the, you know, the little firing missile things on, but they did reissue a lot of old vehicles. <laughs> Void for the, vagueness. What the hell are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just saying, yeah, like the, the vehicles that they made new vehicles of, they always look weird and squashed. Sound attack. Yeah, sound yep. attack, stuff like that. But the fact that they reissued old vehicles was pretty cool because it gave a lot of people a chance to own them again. They perhaps didn't have them or, or weren't willing to go on eBay and find stuff. And then, personally, my favorite thing about the New Sculpt era was a figure called Surefire, <laughs> which is an awesome figure. I mean, he's like old school, but but this, this sort of New Sculpt era. Because the thing with him is that he, he still has the proportions and the makeup and the build of an old figure, but a lot of his plastic is kind of like newish, especially his hands are very, are very nice soft plastic, so you can hold tons of guns, and his look was very, very cool. Kind I'm afraid you duplicated your point about the plastic being more durable because that figure sculpt is in fact a vintage, a real American hero sculpt. Yeah, it's fine. He came dun, out dun, of the dun. new sculpt era. He's a member of the drug elimination force. I believe. Yeah, based on something else. I believe he's Shockwave. Yeah. Shockwave version 3, 1992. Yeah, I see that. But the cool thing about him is that he looks so much better that way. And the head is a new sculpt. Anyway. Wasn't so he recently released as a subscription figure? Correct. Last year, mm. I believe. Oh, yeah, but that, that version doesn't look cool. He's got a gosh. <laughs> and he costs he's got like a goatee. Shitty going on there. No, but anyway, so I have, so I have four points, but my fifth is basically that I love this figure. Anyway, well, yeah. I'm not going to keep you guys much longer. The five that I came up with, I thank the new sculpt era for the following five things: swiveling wrists, which was something that was not wholesale. Not every figure had swiveling wrists, but it was the first time. Swiveling wrists made an appearance in the line. Up until then, the only way you could get your wrists to swivel was if you had a battle android trooper or an, or an overkill figure. I mean, that was the extent of swiveling wrists as a functional point of articulation. But it was the one thing that vintage O-ring figures lacked. In order to complete their swivel arm battle grip, to have a, a wrist swivel to allow them to cup their rifles, uh, particularly uh. with their left hand or their supporting hand, if they were lefties, their right hand. Um, that is something that I always missed on a vintage figure. And when I started getting them in the new sculpt figures, I was over the moon. I was ecstatic. I want to so, echo that statement, but mostly because I thought you said modern era when you mentioned the topics um, starting off when you answered, asked the question <laughs> earlier. So that was like the first thing that came to mind as well to me. <laughs> well, it's a new sculpt era thing, man. Oh, it's cool. not... It's not something that was new with the 25th anniversary. It was something that oh. experimented with and done on a number of new sculpt figures. Most notably for me is the initial Zartan that they did for the line, which is the very first Zartan I ever owned. And I Yeah, I remember that guy. What, you that have like three of them, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> there was, the I think, the original red and black version, and then there was a very tasty green and rust-colored one. Uh, gotta get them all. Yeah. I mean, but ugly by today's standards, but back in 2002, that figure could do no wrong. I really enjoyed it. I played, played the hell out of it. 
the new sculpt era was also the first time we started seeing more functional holsters and sheaths for knives and small arms. I can think of, just off the top of my head, T-Crotch Duke from 2002, the green one, mm. which then became the tan one. He had a functional holster, as did the Cobra Commander he was packaged with. So that was something that started happening more and more as the line wore on, and something that we see you know, the fruit of nowadays, where functional holsters are pretty much the norm. Functional and removable web gear was something that only truly took off in the New Sculpt era and really made its most premier appearance, I think, in the direct-to-consumer line, where you had a character like Barrel Roll who has web gear which, to this day, I use. I've transplanted that web gear onto Outback because it fits quite nicely on his torso, and that's the Night Force Outback that was released in the uh, Assault on Cobra Island 7-pack. So web gear and very good web gear started making an appearance. And that's something we have New Sculpt era to thank. My number two was something that you both touched on, and that's the durable plastic that got used. They started out with the gummy plastic in 2002, 2001, 2002, uh, and then they used that same gummy plastic on re-release vintage figures. So we have vintage figures that are perfectly capable of holding very thick weapons without... Yeah, like Surefire. Sure, like Surefire. And also (laughs) plenty of army builders that came out of that era, like the Pit Viper six-pack, where you could basically get six Vipers for like $20. That I capitalized on while I was in the States. You could also get the same thing with Cobra Troopers, and all of them with very durable hands, perfect for army building. They look good in photographs. They're not quite as sexy as the vintage ones, but, you know, if you've got an army of 50 of them, who's scrutinizing the individual troop? (laughs) Very fine figures in their own right, and all helped by the fact that they were made from gummy, durable plastic. And, you know, almost overnight, broken thumbs were a thing of the past. And my top pick for what I have the new sculpt era to thank for are the direct-to-consumer vehicles. By that, I mean the DTC His Tank, which we now are seeing re-release as a septic tank, which I'm very pleased about because it's a fantastic His Tank version and needs to be reproduced. I also refer to the Rhino, which has also seen reproduction. And finally, the the Rolling Operations Command Center, which has not yet seen any re-release, and I'm hoping that they're holding it back for some reason and that it would find its way back out there. Maybe it's because it's a very big vehicle and would be a risky sell to the, the toy stores. But it's a fantastic piece. And with a little bit of minor retooling on the inside, could be just stellar. And by That's minor that... retooling, I mean take out the goddamn spy jet. <laughs> An honorable mention being the night attack copter which has its problems, but it is an unsung gem of the New Sculpt era. And anyone put off by its rather unique looks should give it a second thought. Just give it a second chance, give it a second look. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, flirt with danger and your master card. (laughs) 
and buy really. yourself one because it's a fun entry into the line, into the history of the line. It'll never supplant a tomahawk, but it's its own beast, and it really is a fun toy with a lot of features and a lot of function as a you know attack helicopter with a little bit of troop space to boot. In adding to that, there's also a very cool um, Humvee that they did in that line. Mm, um, and it's not, not the hammer, it's actually this amazing Humvee that's actually quite close to scale. It's very close to what the PTE guys are offering now, but it's just better for the for the Joes. I think you find them for about 150 200 on on eBay at the moment. Hey? Ouch. Uh, if you find them, they're very rare. They, they've become quite collectible. Yeah, I mean, just the sales pitch for that particular Hummer, it came in a desert camo, and I think also a forest camo, and then they did a night ops one with a certain elements stripped out of it like there was one missing pane of glass uh and a rifle attachment kind of it had modular weapons uh, so you could change it set up the back gate flipped down so in addition to the the trunk popping up the gate flipped down it's yeah it's perhaps the best presentation of the humvee that gi joe ever did and probably beats the pte version it's mm. kind of just short of a, a blue box toy Agreed. And I was actually, the reason I know about it is because I was desperately searching for an in-scale Humvee uh, for a long time. And before I got my blue box one that Steve got me, and then I found um, PTE ones that were re- that were eventually released here in South Africa. But um, yeah, I was looking all over the place for one and I found this and I was like, I was actually contemplating getting one, but there was no way I was going to spend that kind of money on a, essentially on a, on a car, you know. Just wasn't quite there yet for me to drop $150 on. Not when I had uh, condors and phantoms looking at me in the eye. So. Yep. <laughs> and a PTE Hummer is a perfectly adequate vehicle. Exactly. In fact, scarily adequate. <laughs> it's all the Hummer I've ever needed. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Core Humvee notwithstanding. <laughs> Hey, that thing's actually a lot of fun. I dig oh, that toy. tons of fun. It's slightly overscaled, but it was the best thing we had for a good long while. Mm-hmm. The I hammer agree. wasn't great, so Leonard gave us that gem. And damn, it was... Yeah, as I say, all the hammer we needed until now. <laughs> and how anyway. is Rob going to destroy us with his five list? Your top five favorite non-combatants and by that I mean like people whose main focus isn't like to be on the front line and kill people you know like snake eyes or or beachhead or low light like who are your favorite dudes who fill sort of the more the support roles on Joe and Cobra sides I don't know if this is easy or not uh, but it's it's tricky I have actually thought about this so I feel a bit more primed to answer this one maybe I should give Steve a chance to grab it a bit I don't know. Steve, By you want to go means. first or should I? Okay, I'll, I'll I need, open it up. I need up. to get my, my juices flowing, man. <laughs> Non-combatants. Non-combatants and favorite in the same sentence. Sentence, yeah, right. It's, I mean, it's, it's tricky when you consider that G.I. Joe is a toy line, an action toy line, yeah. action soldier toy line. One of my top favorites is Lightfoot. Lightfoot's not mm-hmm. very much of a combatant. He's a finds bombs and extracts them with a very cool helmet. So Lightfoot is definitely one of those for me. Another very is cool helmet. 
<laughs> yeah, but he does have a cool helmet for his, like, I don't know, my childlike mind thought that helmet was badass. It was just, it, I think it was also again, the lenticular thing. Well, the yeah, robot. lenticulars were, were always cool. Um, but yeah, his helmet, it's a loony design, just screams, Mosque Crusaders, working overtime, fighting crime, fighting crime. Fighting crime! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, to find five of these bad boys is going to be really tough. Do um, they have to another... have figure incarnations, Rob? Um, I suppose that they don't have to be. I mean, it could just be your five favorite characters who are non-combatant. I mean, I based my my top five on figures. Oh, so it can be done, <laughs> is what Rob is saying. Jesus, yeah. yeah. The entire Battle Force in 2000. What? <laughs> <laughs> They're basically non-combatants, <laughs> except for that one. He actually doesn't know how to shoot. He didn't die. No, he no, just knows how to dodge. He knows how to dodge, <laughs> as his name would imply. Obviously, a lot of guys are going to say this, but Lifeline. I like Lifeline. I think he's cool. I love that episode in the cartoon where he gets like a fan. There's this chick that's like completely obsessed with him, so she buys him all kinds of stuff um, to try and win him over. And he's all like, whoa, crazy chick, you know, get away from me with your crazy eyes, you know. Um, <laughs> but I just dig him. I think he's a cool character. The whole pacifism angle on him was so overplayed in the cartoon. Almost gets dizzy when he has to handle the gun. Doc, also, sorry, I know he's a medic and I know it's kind of easy to say, but I like Doc. I actually sought out a Doc figure for myself because I think he's great. I think he's a great character. Another thing that turned me on to that character is that novelization of G.I. Joe, the Cobra Wars. He's in there. I don't want to speak about which story he's in because it's a bit of a spoiler, but it's very cool that he's in there. That was something quite special for me. It, it gave me something to connect the character to. Other than those two, I mean, this completely eliminates Cobra from the list. I mean, if you consider that maybe Cobra don't shoot straight, then I suppose they're all non-combatant. But uh, <laughs> that's not the thing here. So, yeah, Lightfoot, Lifeline, Doc. It's almost like you're quizzing me, you know, to find <laughs> non-combatant. Yeah. Can you name five non-combatants in the line? Fine. It's like got nothing to do with <laughs> list your top five. It's like yeah. just fucking crab at straws. Jeez. <laughs> Actually, well, well said, Steve. <laughs> Wow, Rob, I can only think of three. Wow, I've had two five-list fails. This is depressing. Because I can't think of anybody <laughs> else who's who's actually... They all come with guns. I'm even looking through Bellomo's guide here just to see if I'm missing anybody and I'm being completely stupid. Well, but yeah, I, was, I mean, obviously they can come with guns and stuff, but I mean, like, I'm not saying they're complete pacifists. Like, their roles are more like supporty type roles. Well, Dial Tone is another one that I like quite a lot. You know, when I was thinking of our top five, you know, sub-teams, you know, I mm. was thinking of a of a Fobbit-type character. And for the listeners who don't know, that's just somebody who sits in a base and basically takes orders from a CO, commanding officer, to actual troops and that kind of stuff. And they, they're not very well respected. But, but to be fair, not all of them are battle-ready. You know, not all of them want to, you know, run in the sand and get shot at. Dial Tone would be one of those characters. I'm not saying he can't hold his own, but he is a character like that that I dig quite a bit. Another one, I suppose, Mutt. As in, like, Mutt and Junkyard. I don't Ooh. know if you would call him a combatant, because he's, his role is more like, kind of, he's a dog handler, and he's more sort of security specialized. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't see him as a guy that goes into the field. I see him as more somebody who helps to make sure that everything in the pit is okay, or 
I you know, saw he... him kick Buzzer in the face, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh you saw it, eh? You saw yeah, it. I saw it. I saw it. He, he kicked Buzzer clean through Peen the face. in the face. Okay. Buzzer pulled up and Mutt just kicked him in the face. But, I mean, that wasn't like in a war zone. That was like a, a security checkpoint situation, wasn't it? No, the Battle Force 2000 were tracking down the Dreadnoughts. The Dreadnoughts uh, noticed that the BF 2000 were on their tail, so they counterattacked. And in the ensuing chaos, Mutt, who was just tagging along because he wanted some payback, because a certain chainsaw-wielding Dreadnought cut up a uh, junkyard, saw Buzzer. Oh, that's right, yes, yeah. And laid down the pain. Yeah, that's coming back to me now, actually. I think that's in the fourth or fifth. Issue 88. Yeah, that's, I remember. Or 81. (laughs) It's always one or the other with me. Yeah, well, that's better than mine. Photographic memory, not quite. Mine is like, it's in the comic. Then also, and I I know, it's a dog handler as well, but Law and Order. I know in the cartoon, he's like, he flies with them all in the tomahawk. But to be fair, he's... He's not that kind of character. He's not that kind of special speciality. So he's also kind of non-combatant in a way. Like he's also like kind of a support role, finding things, that kind of stuff. That's me. I mean, I can't think of anybody else that serves those sort of supportive roles. Yeah, you know, not even Scoop because Scoop is sort of in the action. You know, I suppose actually Scoop is a good candidate, but not one of my favorites. Sorry, Rob. Okay, <laughs> so let me just get them again, just so we're clear. Lifeline. Lightfoot, Doc, Dialtone, and <laughs> and uh, all law and order. <laughs> much all law and order, whichever fits the criteria better. But I do like those two characters. <laughs> no, that was that was that was a nice list. I agree with it. I have a list. I can't say they're my top fives. They're kind of the only five I can think of <laughs> that Paul hasn't <laughs> mentioned. Okay, yes. and, it's like my list. Four of them are Cobra, in fact. It's questionable. I mean, all of this is open to debate. But in no particular order, and I'll get through the Cobras first and then give my one Joe pick, Crystal Ball. (laughs) (laughs) Because, okay, firstly, he fits the criteria of non-com. Hokey pokey figure, fair enough. Crappy accessory. The redeeming factor of this character comes in G.I. Joe Cobra. And particularly in the second graphic novel, the second trade paperback, where a female G.I. Joe plant is being interrogated by this man who can read her like an open book before she's even said a word. And this is Crystal Ball's characterization in that book. And it just strikes so much terror into the reader that this guy knows that she's somehow somehow it's just in his waters that he knows that she's a gi joe plant it gripped me and made me take a second glance at this character the fact that they dolled him up as this very freaky looking wizard with dreadlocked hair and strange metallic almost trance party (laughs) jewelry very guru looking um, yeah, very like, like yeah. steel claws, like very long, ornate metal Mandarin jewelry. Iron Man 3. His iconography is very much like an updated Mandarin, like uh, good old Ben Kingsley. So that would be one of my five. Mentioned almost in the same breath, because he's part of the same freak squad, is Raptor, 
who is a Cobra Falcon trainer. Falcon. <laughs> an accountant. And an accountant. And Larry Harmer took this crazy idea and actually made it work. So kudos to him, where not only did he manage to work the falconry angle into an issue as a method for locating the Joes, but he also worked the accounting angle that somehow Raptor had managed to locate the Joes by by following their pay records. So using both of these aspects of his character, he turned out to be quite an effective tracker, if you will, a modern-day tracker, using the most strange and alien methodology, but effective methodology nonetheless. So Raptor's in there. Number three, Interrogator, who was very erroneously packaged with a battlecopter, but is a rather unique figure with a rather unique specialty and one that we needed. Okay, look, he kind of steps on the same territory as Crystal Ball, but here we have a more formal, more military-trained interrogator or torture technician. So this is one villainous dude, and he's got quite an ornate look. He he looks quite high-ranking. He looks like a character with a lot of potential, and potential that some people have tapped on, uh, but in terms of main G.I. Joe canon, the interrogator is still quite a mystery. So he's, yeah, he's up there. I think he would definitely find his way into a top five list. I didn't think, oh, cool, non-combatant. I just thought, okay, <laughs> I just passed He comes him. with a battlecopter. It's kind of in the word, <laughs> battle. <Yeah. laughs> Can't be a yeah. non-pom. That, to this day, is the most baffling action figure inclusion. It made him out to be a helicopter pilot. Whereas, yeah. read his file card, um, he's the Cobra interrogator. <laughs> he's... He's got nothing to do with helicopter flying. Yeah, and and also he's an individual as well, it seems, especially from his file card. That's actually very cool. Another Cobra, I wouldn't call him a pacifist, but he's certainly not a frontline troop, so that's why I'm, I'm giving him a place in my top five, is Crocmaster, who's a reptile mm-hmm. trainer, who basically was caught snooping around some Cobra installation, probably not Cobra Island, and was co-opted by the Cobra organization instead of being liquidated with extreme prejudice because he had this set of trained crocodiles. And if you're operating in a swampy environment like Cobra Island, if you've got trained crocs or alligators, that forms quite an effective security precaution because you'd have these beasts patrolling areas that are inaccessible for conventional troops, conventional vehicles, and conventional surveillance equipment. So you've got this added layer of protection, and he is essentially just a security guard, but a very unique approach for a security guard. Then my number one, and also G.I. Joe, though I said this was in no particular order, um, so take it or leave it, this could be a number one, this could be... uh, mixed up there with the rest but psychart the whole idea mm. of psyops is his sole purview mm. there are no other gi joe psy troopers and psychological warfare is it's quite a big deal actually to win the war without firing a shot is i suppose the ultimate goal of a psyops trooper to basically convince your enemy that they cannot win is what they do and psychart is a an extremely intelligent soldier, but one who doesn't use a gun. He uses slogans. He uses ultra-high frequencies. 
he uses letter bombing. And by that, I mean just papers airdropped from aircraft. That's his thing. And G.I. Joe needed that, but it doesn't make for an exciting figure. So Psych Art's not going to be on anyone's top five figure, you know, G.I. Joe toy of all time lists. But just a fascinating specialty and one that I'm glad exists. I'm not going to rush out and buy one, but he's cool. Damn, I thought I thought he made someone's list of worst G.I. Joe figures ever, but he's not sadly on the list. Raptor, however, is. Yes. Raptor, Raptor has found its way into a top ten lamest G.I. Joe action figures. Um, ever. And the entry is, both G.I. Joe and Cobra were known to have animal trainers on their teams, but Raptor has got to be the lamest of the bunch. His official position is Cobra Falconer, and he wears a kooky bird suit with wings from his file card. Raptor was a yuppie tax consultant who took up falconry as a pastime and soon became obsessed with the avian blood sport. Now it all makes sense. So yeah, getting back to psych arts, just, as I say, a specialty that I'm glad we have. Not going to lie, it's not a figure that, that I pine for with my every waking moment. But a lot of potential there, and it shows the depth of the G.I. Joe toy line. What was your list, Rob? I put Ozone at number five. So I always just like the look of him, as, as mentioned in the helmet helmet version. His helmet is pretty cool. He comes with a vacuum um, cleaner. Exactly. He cleans the environment. I think that's, that's very, very non-combatant. <laughs> um, number four, I that mean... It just reminded me of something, though. Both Lightfoot yeah. and Ozone have a chest full of hand grenades. Very, well, they're not necessarily like explosive hand grenades. They could be like... Antitox. Yeah, exactly. Well, if like interrogator's coming grenades. at you, you'll be glad you have hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ozone, and then number four, Dr. Mindbender. It's questionable whether or not he is really a non-combatant because, I mean, he does develop a lot of stuff that they use. But, I mean, his primary focus is... You know, it's more sort of sciencey stuff, developing stuff for them. That's why I chose him. And always just the, the weird look of the figure. He's just so outrageous. Kind of like, you know, like um, Crystal Ball and guys like that. He just looks ridiculous. It's like, does he really stand in the lab bare-chested and work with chemicals and other things? It's Does he really <laughs> wear a monocle? <laughs> only, only in the 80s. Does he really groom his moustache like that? Yeah, He's weird, and that's what I like, I like about him. He's um, just larger than life. He's a cliche, and I think Cobra attracts those kind of personalities. Yeah, definitely. Sort of slightly crazy people. Number three, yeah, Psych Out was, was my number three. Oh, very also, good. Yeah, see, someone made it onto someone else's list. Um, number two, Lifeline. Mm-hmm. Also because I really enjoyed that first issue he was in, in um, Special Missions. Yes. They kind of like the whole issue is like hammering home the point, like, yeah. I hate fighting, but then, you know, he still turns the tables on that. What were they? They're sort of like rebels. Uh, they were trying to get the, the black boxes from a Cobra firebat. The Joes were yes, and then they pursued run into by some... October God, and they're fighting it out, but then these river pirates show up. Yes, and then, like, he impresses them, and, like, what is it, the, the queen well, of the, the f- river pirates? <laughs> she was like, I like you. This hot punk rock chick in like a midriff, <laughs> tiny little denim shorts and this big froofy hairstyle. She ordains that the champion of the October God needs to fight the champion of the G.I. Joe team. 
for the black boxes. Yes. And Horror Show gets picked for the October God. And for whatever reason, I think it was a, a drawing of straws. Lifeline yeah, drawing gets of picked straws, for the Joes. And also one of the Joes was like wounded, I think, as well. Leatherneck was wounded. Leatherneck, who had been riding uh, Lifeline the whole issue and riding <laughs> it down. Um, and Wild Bill was also injured. So it was basically between Lifeline and Roadblock. And the smart money is Roadblock fights Horror Show for the black boxes. But Lifeline gets picked. Leatherneck thinks, oh, shit, that's it. We might as well just all kill ourselves because we're going to die. The October Guard are going to get off scot-free with the black boxes. But Lifeline is a master of Aikido, which wow. is a martial arts form that has no offensive moves, well, it's <laughs> which a is some very, it's a very yeah. like um, sidesteppy chicanery by Mr. Harmer. Mm. So Lifeline schools horror show, wins the day, gets offered the black boxes, but he inquires what is the fate of the defeated team? What is the fate of the October God? And the river pirates are like, we're going to slaughter them. We're going to kill these guys. And then Lifeline refuses the black boxes and says, no, all of us leave. And then they dump them in the river. Yeah, Mm. as an offering to the river gods because one of the men had the courage to back his convictions or something like that. Narihama himself is trained in Aikido. Aikido and Tai Chi are very similar in that they're soft forms that can be used very effectively as hard forms. Um, In the case of Tai Chi, it's actually a very, very, very strong or very powerful martial art, but it requires so many years of actual training and building up of support muscles or stabilizing muscles and understanding the movement of your body so that you can deflect and deliver a very powerful blow and those blows can actually be life-ending blows uh and i'm not speaking i'm not speaking esoterically here i'm speaking seriously you can actually kill somebody with tai chi it's one of the translations for tai chi is ultimate fist it's just that's what it is aikido is very similar in that it uses a lot of the slow moving slow practices to also build up the stabilizing muscles the japanese use a very different concept in grounding themselves but also, once again, to deflect and use the enemy's power against them, much like most martial arts. But those two uh, martial arts specifically are very sneaky. They're very undercover. So it's very cool that somebody like Lifeline would learn Aikido because Aikido is something that would appeal to somebody like Lifeline who doesn't want to fight, but he wants to do something that is disciplined. And maybe he learned it as a form of preventing himself from getting hurt by bullies because a lot of these two forms specifically have a lot of deflecting maneuvers where you can actually allow yourself to get hit, but it's act- actually at the expense of your opponent. Them hitting you doesn't hurt as much as what you're doing to them is going to hurt, even if it just hurts the ego by making them fall over on their face. So very, very cool, actually. Flashback there, Steve. Just love <laughs> Absolutely well, love that you brought that in. A film with a nice example of Tai Chi being used offensively is Man of Tai Chi, directed by yes. uh, Keanu Reeves. Surprisingly, yes. Incredible. The fight scenes in that film are so cool. And it's, wow. It's, you see I did those not know such a thing existed. Up. Yeah, mm. he directed it in 2013. It's a very, very cool. I mean, the film itself is very mediocre, but the fight scenes are incredible. Just to see yeah. Tai Chi used offensively is just amazing. And a beautiful cinematography, very well shot. Mm-hmm. 
yes. exceptionally well shot. Great shots of China, um, Hong Kong, just Keanu's wow. Keanu's full great. of surprises, isn't he? Very much so, hey? <laughs> but yeah, Rob, I just want to say it again, man. Great list. It definitely uh, helped me put some characters into the forefront that um, definitely need some time in the spotlight. I've well, got pat to, on the I back just, to all of you, gents. Yeah, well, to all of us. Uh, and also, so, if yeah. you're... If you're wondering why number one was, it was Scoop. <laughs> oh, shit. We totally rode over you there. No, it's fine. We got into a cool discussion of how awesome Lifeline is. But my, my number one is Scoop. <laughs> Scoop is great. No, he really yeah. is great. He's not a favorite of mine, but he is a great character. I know this because, you know, I'm still waiting for a decent shot of you, Rob, even though I stalked a oh, photo of you. And, oh. and I... I sort of half drew your face and I've drawn Steven as well. And I've been looking up Scoop just to get some ideas. Uh, and I've been doing a bit of reading on him. And he is also actually a very, not pacifist, but non-combative character. But it's just that his role is kind of, it's difficult to, to discern because he does a lot of sneaking and getting into places and sort of, you know, doing what a, an investigative journalist would do. If and, your listeners and, have no idea what Paul's talking about, don't worry. It's not like you've missed anything. Paul has been wanting to create character card art based on Rob, myself, and Paul's likeness for approximately a year and a half now. Yeah. But now I'm... I'm not being helped not... by the fact that Rob never gets him a damn photograph of photograph. himself. <laughs> I keep taking the pictures and I'm like, I keep forgetting to send them. Because then like, I look at the picture again and I'm like, oh, the lighting was just terrible. I look Dude, awful. Don't, don't worry about that. I'll still make you look good. You're going to be wearing a helmet anyway, so don't stress. It's Paul just is an one... artist. Yeah, and I've seen the... Take artistic I've... license. <laughs> Give him yeah, a good... make me look beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he'll give you a full beard. I'll draw you oh, like this. Finally, <laughs> I'll see what that looks like. <laughs> Blue eyes, but... done and done. I'm looking forward to it. I've actually, in the passage of time with this little project, I've decided I'm most likely am going to draw myself more along the lines of like sci-fi, just so that <laughs> we second, all have. I thought you were gonna say nude. <laughs> 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 yeah. There's Paul with sure. the dude with like Steve and Rob with like hardcore faces like with machine guns jumping out of a tomahawk. But uh yeah, I decided I'd go with sci fi Paul like David. Yes. <laughs> yes. But much better. <laughs> Less abs. <laughs> but more muscle where it counts. <laughs> I love muscle. <laughs> Solid <Implied>. snake. <laughs> oh god. Oh, man. The hour is late, gentlemen. Does anyone have any closing remarks? I would like all of our listeners, if you haven't already, please go and check out Marauder Inc.'s uh, Kickstarter. They are doing this fantastic project where they are making full customizable body sculpts and head sculpts and what and web gear and things to go on web gear to add to their very popular line of weapons. So go and check it out. They've already met their Kickstarter goal. They did it in like three days. But their stretch goals are pretty groovy, actually. So please, go and support it. $50 will get you, I think it's three three figures from that line. And you have the choice of a desert and a night attack. And I can't remember. I think it's an urban camo. Go and check it out. These guys do great work. I love what they're doing. Uh, they definitely have helped to reinvigorate some love into this toy line by making some amazing weapons. Also, a Kickstarter Hang on, project. Stop right there. 
you've asked our listenership to support this. Yeah. Are you going to cough up your 50 bucks? I am so totally doing it, dude. I actually am encouraging you guys to do the same. For us, it's going to be about $68 or so because I think it's $12 shipping. And I think it's $55 actually. But it works out to about $68 somewhere around there. But that's just so that they can ship it to us. These figures are also expected to be produced by November. It would be cool if G.I. Joe could get ourselves involved there. They also have involved Boss Fight Studios, the guys who are responsible for the subscription service Head Sculpts, some of those fantastic Joes that we mentioned earlier today in the show. And in the same vein, there is a guy that has uh, also put out a customizing guide for G.I. Joe. You can go and check that out on Kickstarter as well. I don't know whether or not I can support Marauder John's latest venture. And I'm sure it will find ample supports without me. But $70 for three figures? Yeah, but Ouch. it's not just three figures. It's three figures with like different heads and different web gear and like some guns and some all kinds of stuff. It's not it's not just like three figures. It's three figures with accessories and stuff. With a very Basis. modular yeah, basis for a lot of other components. But to my exactly. mind, the basis figure is the, the three identical figures. Sort of. Yes. Uh, web gear, additional accessories, customizable heads, swappable headgear aside. The mm. basic figure, you're getting three of the same guys, 70 bucks. Yeah, but that's, it's, but that's it's like... A, it's an idea that I flirted with back when... The modern era started. I was like, wouldn't it be nice to have X number of nondescript troops that are completely customizable down to what pockets they have? Well, we finally have it. But for this fan, I'm afraid they have locked the gate after the horse has bolted. <laughs> the only toys that I'm interested in now were produced before 1990. So Sorry. Good news, folks. Sorry, Marauder. So good news, folks. There's still a lot of toys left in case you're worried that Steven was going to go and buy them all. <laughs> fear, fear no longer. My G.I. Joe world plays so much better with itself. With the whole... <laughs> yeah, I know. really painted myself in a corner there. It all hangs together so nicely. Uh, when I've I've capped I've capped my collection at a certain year and it just looks better distilled like that. Uh, dude, I totally understand. I just want to give Marauder some backing up here because. And also, you you're a collector of the modern era stuff. Exactly, and I think yeah, so the totally. And it will in. mix well with that. These exactly. guys would be premier troops. They could be your own customized character. You could create could his own backstory. Us. Or he could be a green shirt. You could have a exactly. legion of these dudes and they'd just be kind of making G.I. Joe look more standardized and more more real world. It's Rob's favorite term. How about Very you, Rob? Real world. Which, uh, which uh, side of the fence do you fall on? Well, I've, I've just started looking at it now and I think they're quite cool. I mean, the type of stuff that they come with makes them... Okay, the base body is the same, but there's just so much customization options, which I think is quite cool. They can look very different. Would you part with 700 Rand for three of them? Yes, I think please. 700 Rand is pretty decent. I mean, how much that's what... Um, just over 200 Rand a figure. How many board that, games could that get you? Not one. even one. 700 Rand, that could give me one, maybe two. Oh, one maybe. and an expansion. Board games average about 600 bucks. Um, but we have enough board games right now. 
I think I haven't bought a figure in like ages. And this is and the kicker, Rob. They're calling them gaming figures. So you can use them for your tabletop <laughs> exactly. adventures. But in looking at this, I mean, I also see they've done a couple of other Kickstarters as well. But I think the other ones are quite old. Like there was one yeah, in 2012. A, for weapons. Um, yeah, that did a very yeah, cool. Yeah, weapons. We could like customize your own weapons. You get gold versions. And that looked pretty cool. But this looks very interesting. I'm going to research this. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll... Alima support. Like, okay, let me put it to you guys this way with the masks here. If I bought one subscription figure from Big Bad Toy Store now, Tiger Force Shipwreck, I roll from Steven. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, not I've, Tiger Force Shipwreck. Well, whatever, I'm, they've renamed it. But You know what I'm talking about. It's Tiger Force Shipwreck. And he costs $39. And to ship him here is going to cost $20. And then when he lands, I'm still going to have to pay like 150 rants to, to clear him in. That's just under what three of these guys would cost. And that's three of these guys that have, that have got like modular assignments to them. You know, you can do all kinds of cool stuff like we've mentioned before. Yeah. It's not just a repainted shipwreck that tickles Paul's funny bone. It is... A really awesome figure, and I can name one Rob, I can name one Steven, and I can name one Sergeant Sneaker, <laughs> <laughs> which is me. And I'll be super happy, because then like I have my own toy, and then I can paint it, and I can do all kinds of crazy stuff to it, without feeling bad, because it's not a G.I. Joe, and I'm not like defacing it. So that that's what makes it exciting for this collector. But I know where Steve's coming from, and I do understand that you have to narrow your wants uh, to survive in this collectible industry. Otherwise, you just end up buying a whole bunch of stuff that you end up regretting, and you don't get any of the stuff you really want. So I do see both sides of the, the coin here. Fuck it, I'm still buying these things. <laughs> They're great. Yeah, I will consider this. I can even be this gimp ninja that they've got here. It's awesome. I just like the, the role-playing side of it, I suppose. This injects a whole new vibe into Dio stories. ha, ha, ha. I can imagine myself driving Tiger a Tiger Force Shipwreck is a Brazilian exclusive called Marujo. Marujo. Marujo is his own character. Oh, I like that too. That's yeah. cool. So now I'm getting two toys for $40. <laughs> Marujo and Tiger Force Shipwreck. I'd love to read you his file card, but it's probably in Portuguese. Probably. So. Oh, it's okay. I just love entertaining the notion of that toy. I think he's so cool. But, uh, yeah, with the way the Joe line is going, I'm kind of open to some interesting things. But, yeah. You're open to supporting third parties and further aid the demise of G.I. Joe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that kind of thing sends out a strong message and says, listen, consumers are supporting guys like this who are doing things that they want. So, Hasbro, wake up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's one way of looking at it. I mean, this could further prove to Hasbro that the marketplace is fine without them. The so thing is, Hasbro didn't even w weren't keep on making uh, Iron Man toys. Yeah, well, there you go. But Hasbro weren't even represented at Jocon this year, hey? They didn't have a stand there or a display or anything. It was Boss Fight Studios and one or two guys from Hasbro that were talking about the subscription figures. Otherwise, it really wasn't... Hasbro was very... The writing is on the wall then, folks, so... Exactly. We're on our own. That's why, you know, I st I love the articulation of G.I. Joe. And uh, What about the f 50th anniversary stuff? The Cobra Wolf, the Flint, the Heat Viper. 
well, that's all they've ever shown us. And Just pictures. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get it. When and how is another side of that story. If it does actually even materialize. I thought then, they were exclusives. Yeah, Toys R Us or something. Or something uh, like that. Yeah. I thought they were Joe-Con exclusives. I must say, all of this uh, convention exclusive stuff is doing my head in. Because, firstly, it's hard to keep track of these conventions when you're yep. situated in South Africa or <laughs> England. And secondly, we'll never get to see these toys because they won't find their way to mass retail and therefore the only way to get them is at exorbitant eBay prices. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very confusing and ultimately unsatisfying because we can't get them, damn it. Yeah, no, that's how I feel. But I'm going to look into this um, whole subscription service again and see how they put it together because I think if I'm to put my money where my mouth is, I like the Maddie Collector model uh, of them sort of drip-feeding figures that are of a good quality. And yeah, they are like 30 or $40, but you know, if you're not buying waves of them, it's not too bad at the end of the day, yeah. really. And, and if I'm not going to be buying Sideshow... Yeah, so maybe it's not a bad idea. But I remember looking at it and going, my God, that's expensive. Like it was a crazy price. I mean, as it is, I wanted to get one of those cool figures from that line, that... Um, acid rain line and I just I'd I'd love to and like Steve don't get me wrong I do understand where you're coming from and I don't think that it's an unfair point to make I think it's just it's the same as the snow job um, outback kind of thing because snow jobs accessories are snow based it pigeonholes him into only doing snow based missions for me a scope dog my mind is so stuck on a scope dog being so part of its universe that is very difficult for me to take it out and put it into the Joeverse. Mm. Um, for example, and yet whereas, the acid rain stuff is transplantable. It is because it doesn't have the seed isn't as great as the scope dogs. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're I just know unfamiliar it, with the source material. Exactly, but that's exactly it. I'm I'm far removed from the source material, whereas like scope dogs, I've known about since I was like 13. Uh, well, I, I mean? suppose so, that's where you and I differ because I got the scope dog toy. Yeah. Before I watched Votoms. There you mm. go. You see, so that that's how it changes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's not um, get too crazy. I think this has been a fantastic show for our five listeners. <laughs> and it's been a fantastic show for our three participants. It's been great chatting to you, fellas. I will very soon be returning to South Africa. Amen. Yay. Yay. Yay, so we'll be playing tabletop under the table mountain very soon, Robbie. And Paul, <laughs> maybe one day I'll come to Johannesburg. Good to know. Anyway, this has been anyway. episode 33 of G.I. Joburg. This is Steve saying we've managed to last through G.I. Joe droughts before. We're still standing. Our collections have still grown. We can do it again. Be brave, that, G.I. Joe fans. Yeah, otherwise just teach your Joes how to play with themselves. Like, <laughs> all just hang together. <laughs> this has been G.I. Joe book, episode 33. Rob? Yes. I love how I'm just kind of like... Ball? Ball to you. Bam! I, this I has have been our 33rd episode. It's been awesome. hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I've learned a lot about myself and about G.I. Joe. And... Hanging out with these guys is just the best. Good times. Because we hang together. Yeah.
Oh my god, that shit's so fast. Hanging. <laughs> hanging out. Together. Over Skype. Sorry, Steve. Say goodnight to the listeners, Paul. Goodnight, listeners, Paul. <laughs> Douche. Uh... Good night, good night! <laughs>